Father, just ask for your grace over the whole family and just a perspective that heals, that restores in the midst of physical loss and reality. Thank you that the gospel is bigger than life. And thank you, God, for eternity in you. We just honor and respect what Martha said and just agree. And thank you, God, for help in the heart of the whole family. God, that you bless parents in this situation. And just thank you for strength in Jesus' name. Amen? Yeah, that's amazing perspective. That's the one I believe we're to have. In the midst of continuing, fighting, believing. Wow. Well, how's everybody doing? It feels like I haven't been here forever. <laughs> so I miss you guys. It's been a long, long time. Pastor Don had fun. He told me it was awesome. He was teasing me when I was in Colorado. I called him, said, how's things going? And he said, well, just can't wait till you get back and straighten everything out. I think I got everything all messed up. I said, quit it. What are you talking about? <laughs> so he's just teasing me. He's a good guy. We love him. What a blessing. So, uh, no, had fun. We did Power and Love Conference last week. Uh, we're doing one here in September. Uh, there's a real focus there. Like here, we're really teaching a lot on identity and things, but that's, it's like a four-day boot camp, Power and Love. So you're doing identity and plus going out and just moving in God. And uh, we had, Todd seemed to think it was the most impacting Power and Love we've ever had. And uh, we've had some pretty powerful ones, but the transformation of the people was incredible. The first day I kick off teaching and Todd did the night service and there was... There was something going on that people were like deer in the headlight kind of thing. Because sometimes when you're teaching, it, you find out when you travel that people haven't been taught what we're teaching for their whole life. And, and some of it's the total opposite of what they were taught. But when they're listening, the Holy Spirit's there and they're going, ah. Oh. And they don't even know what to do. Sometimes you wonder if they're with you. They're just... And, but, oh my goodness, by the third day we were creating... Holy Ghost monsters, if that's such a phrase, you know what I mean, are just rampaging. Uh, there was tumors that disappeared on the streets. Uh, there was a creative miracle where a part of a finger grew back in the mall. Just while the people prayed. Well, I was nowhere around. Todd was nowhere around. It was the people coming back, freaking out. And the, some of the people that get healed come to the services. There was a young girl hooked up on tubes and all this stuff had a disease. And the lady prayed for her, and she said, well, listen, that's just, can you see anything different that, you know, and the girl's like, she can't do much. And, and she said, well, then let's just sing this song together, and I'll leave you guys alone, but thanks for letting She started singing, Jesus Loves Me, and the girl's sitting there singing, and the mom's just bawling and bawling, and she said, you don't understand. My daughter couldn't sing. She's never sung. And she's singing, Jesus Loves Me. The next day, the mother said, because she stayed in touch with the conference, she said to the little girl, let's try something we've never done before. Is there something you want to do that you've never done? She said, Mommy, I feel hungry. I want to eat. Well, she's on a feed tube because she can eat. And she said, but I want to eat. And her mom said, you want to eat? She said, yeah. She took out the feed tube and fed her. I saw them on Sunday. They came to church. Yeah, the, this lady, and she just cried and worshipped and we preached, and her daughter is being restored miraculously. She was really in a bad situation with some disease that had her incapacitated. 
and tubes are coming out of her and things are coming alive. So it was just the power of God on the streets, loving. Amen. So there was countless, countless healings. I saw a whole bunch myself. Uh, first day, we saw a lady that had the life squeezed out of her. She had so much pain. Her husband was so messed up, he couldn't touch. Like if he had dropped something on the floor, he couldn't pick it up. There was no way he could get down to pick it up. And we watched his wife get completely healed. I pulled the pen out of his pocket, dropped it. I said, why don't you grab that for me? He just picked it right up. He's bawling. I took it from him and dropped it. I said, you got to do that again. I threw it down. He picked it up again. He's just bawling. It was amazing. So there's things that are possible in God. Amen? So in the tough places and the things that we haven't seen change, we need to continue to keep hope, keep a big perspective, a bigger picture than now. And let's go after God. Amen? Amen. So uh, it's really important. So if you can be a part of Power and Love on uh, September here, it would just be fun. So you'll get a real strong identity and you'll, uh, you'll get to go out on the streets right away. What, what we're finding is powerful is when you hear the word to act on it immediately so it doesn't just become head knowledge. If you act on the word immediately and attach an experience to it, then it becomes your revelation. Or you'll just know a lot about what we should know about, but it doesn't become real, and then it's just stored up here. And that can bite back in time, because you know all this stuff, but it seems like there's no real apparent change or increase. And then you're like, well, it's just your knowledge, and it can actually try to condemn you. It can get weird. So... Let's just pray, man. It's good. Uh, I don't know where Pastor Don went, so I just figured that was good. He had that much time. He could build and pour out his heart and do whatever. I thought that was neat. And uh, I'm just going to kick in. I know we were talking about love, and I told you I was going to take my time and become in love, and I, we'll see where we go. I think we're probably going to end up in some of those places today, if that's okay with everybody. Uh, Father, we just thank you. We submit ourselves to you, everybody online. We just thank you that you're here, that there's grace on this school that you're teaching us, you're training us, and Father, most of all, you're transforming us. And I believe you're causing our eye to be single and our whole bodies flooded with light. Continue to put heaven perspective inside of us. Take us out of the world in our perspective, in our understanding. Take us, even though we're in it, take us out of it, God. And cause us to be in the world, but not of it, because we look through a different eye. We live from a, a, a place of truth. And Lord God, I thank you that it brings great strength to every person's life. And I just thank you, Father, for it all. In Jesus' name, everything you're doing, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Amen. Okay. Let's go to... Uh, remember the last time? I don't know if you even remember when I was here last. I was here a long time ago. No, it seems that way. But I was in 1 Corinthians a lot, but we're going to go to 1 John. I'm going to go to 1 John. Thank you, God. I love you, Jesus. I want to talk about... Uh, you guys hear me say this all the time, okay? The reason we were created was for God's image. I know it's going to sound to some of you, you know, it's, you can never hear it enough. I think it and preach it every day of my life. It keeps me sober and sharp. It keeps me free from offense. It keeps me from falling into the things of the flesh that, that people cycle in because truth makes you free. So if I understand in my prayer life and my communion with the Lord why I'm here, then life's no longer an experiment. Do you know how many people are trying life? Yeah. Come on. They're trying to find life as they go. 
And they, 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 they cycle for years. They make mistakes. They learn and grow, mature, sometimes never learn and grow, sometimes just deceived for their whole life. Who knows that's possible? So you don't want to learn life as you go. You want to learn life through Jesus Christ because he is life. He's the way, the truth, and the life, okay? So Jesus reveals the value of our life and the purpose of our life. You understand that? You find yourself in the Lord. I know it sounds a little basic right now because you guys sit under this teaching and we've taught a lot, but I'm just recapping some things so that we can spring off from a real good foundation. Doesn't the Bible say be rooted and grounded in love? Okay, that's so that everywhere we, every place we live from comes from love. It's because we were created in God's image and God is love. So the fall of man brought a lot of insecurity, brought self-centeredness and self-consciousness on the earth. The fall of man made us self-centered, self-desiring, self-justifying, self-protecting, self-sufficient. And who knows that none of us, if we get really honest, we're really doing too well in that arena. <laughs> There's really not fullness in that place. You always need somebody to do the right thing, say the right thing, or you're let down, you're frustrated, you're mad, you're, you go from happy to sad. It's just a roller coaster ride. Who knows? We've all had that experience at some level and some degree. So here's the deal. The whole purpose of our life is to be found in His image in the good times and the hard times. When everything's going your way and, and actually not to say more so when everything's not, but that's where... The real test is a lot of times. When things aren't going the way you prefer and desire, you really can't lose sight of why you're here. You see what I'm saying? So you'll turn inward if, if you don't understand. If you lose sight of why you're here and who you are, you'll start justifying the flesh. You'll start justifying certain feelings and you won't find the grace and the strength in Christ to keep living for the right purpose. You follow what I'm saying? So, and hardship can bring that. People just way out of order can bring that. Just being in certain relationships for years where somebody doesn't line up can take a toll on you after a while and start being your teacher and give you reasons. Well, it's then, well, how would you feel if you've been in this thing for 15 years? Next thing you know, that one phrase can sell you cheap. And you can let that person that refuses to shift become your identity. And you don't even realize what's happening. You see what I'm saying? So you really can't lose sight of who you are and why. We are on the earth to be found in God's image. The reason we're born again, I'm just reiterating some stuff. The reason we're saved is not to go to heaven. It's to get heaven back inside of us and get restored back to the Father and the Father inside of us, right? So we're, we're one with Him so that His image is restored in our life and that we can bear witness to His name in the face of life. That's why we're Christians, guys. Now, most of us didn't grow up that way. Most of us grew up and heard Christianity taught that it was all for our sakes. It was about God pampering us, taking care of us, giving us provision and taking us to heaven one day. And then we're like not really changed because we're singing songs. Why would you love me? Why would you take me to heaven? And really can't understand this mysterious love. It's amazing you're considering me because we think we're such losers because <laughs> we see ourselves for the way we've been, right? A lot of songs out there, Randy would know this just because he knows a lot of songs. There's a lot of songs out there that reveal his love as if it's a mystery. Why would he love us? There's a lot of songs out there that are puzzled in the fact that he would even consider us, right? Yeah. So, well, actually, look, look at this. Uh, look at this in Hebrews 2. I, I took you to 1 John 2, but it doesn't take me long to get in the groove of school. <laughs> so let's go back here to Hebrews 2. I was just in the wrong, I was in the right chapter, just the wrong book. <laughs> Hebrews 2. Look, 
This is amazing. Thank you, God. He's talking in. Uh, he's talking in Hebrews. He, there's a, he's, he's got me on this. I always laugh because he has a therefore there. But he's talking about Jesus in Hebrews one being the expressed image of God, and that He's a Son, and that God has begotten Him, and then that He rules His kingdom with a scepter of righteousness. And he's just he, Hebrews one is full of identity and purpose here of, of foundational truth, and then that His angels are ministering spirits. And then there's some prophecy here, and at the end it talks about the angels or ministering spirits set forth to those who will inherit salvation. And, and he's just talking about God's purpose in sending the Son, angelic spirits, ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. He's showing you how important you are to this whole mix. He took the time, hey John, he took the time to send his son in his expressed image. He, he bore witness of himself through his son. He's the angels, he made uh, ministers of fire. And he says, your throne, O God, is forever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. That's Hebrews 1, 8. And then he says, you have loved righteousness, hated lawlessness. He's talking about Jesus. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, oil of gladness, more than your companions. Uh, he, the Lord in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You'll fold them up. They'll be changed, but you're the same, and your years will not fail. Sit at my right hand so I make your enemies your footstool. See, God is intense about this. He has a plan and a purpose, and we're... We're the subjects of this salvation he's talking about. It's all directed towards the redemption of our lives. So it took Jesus, it took his life, and and heaven's involved in this. There's angels here to help this thing through. So heaven's all about this and involved in this. And it says in Hebrews 2 verse 1, Therefore, because this is true, because God has this thing in motion, let's, let's give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, at least they drift away. See, you have to stay diligent in this truth because life will sneak up on you. Feelings will sneak up on you. People will say the wrong things and it will give you a right to be the wrong way <laughs> unless you take earnest heed of the things you've heard. You can't, we were just talking, I was just talking to the girls here, I said, we, you know, we, we just don't want to, just head knowledge, we just don't want to know about God. We want to know Him. And it says, take earnest heed of the things you've heard, least we drift away. And it talks about the words spoken through angels that prove steadfast in every transgression and disobedience and just reward. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect the salvation this great? In other words, there's no other answer. There's no other escape. There's no other freedom. There's no other truth. Now see, I love that about the gospel. He makes it so narrow that He's the way, not a way. He's not a good choice. And it's neat. So we're going to take heed of the things we've heard because there's no greater salvation. We've, we've, we've heard this salvation and it's great. It makes sense now to me. So I'm going to continue in it. And it says, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, various miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Now watch this. <clears throat> For He has not put the world to come of which we speak. Now you've got to get this. He has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place saying, now who's he going to talk about? Oh, no, he's talking about us. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you would take care of? And this is Psalms 8. 
that you have made him a little lower than the angels. In the Hebrew, in Psalms 8, it says Elohim himself. You've made him a little lower than Elohim. So we're not God, but we're the sons of God. That is not blasphemous. Jesus used the scripture. He said they were, he was calling himself the son of God by saying God was his father. And they were really mad at him. Obviously, they ended up killing him. But, but when they were mad at him, he said, why are you guys so offended at this? Doesn't the scripture say you are gods? And it's small g-o-d-s. It means you're from God. You're, you have his DNA. You have, you, and it says in the scriptures are, are true and can't be broken. And Jesus himself uses that scripture and says, are you not gods? And, and it's like, oh, everybody freaks out. I think they think New Age or something there, you know, because, because that's just making yourself a god. No, we're, 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 we're in God and God's in us. Look, he made us a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. Now look at this one. And set him over the works of your hands. And you put all things in subjection under his feet. That's incredible, guys. We're crying out to God in fear. We're crying out to God in despair. And God said, hey, you don't know who you are. Who is my man that you're, I'm mindful of you? Who are you? He's trying to tell us this thing is his plan. He put all things in subjection under our feet. There's a place for us to have boldness and courage and believe and understand the will of God. That's why we need our minds renewed through the gospel. That's why we need to not be conformed to the world. Come on, we lived in our senses, in our flesh, our whole life. And unfortunately, after we embrace a Christian confession, we stay that way a lot of times and don't understand the truth. And we continue in fear and continue in worry and continue to let uh, life face value be our reality. But here's God in His Word. It's either true or it's not. I believe it's true. Here's God in His Word saying, you've made Him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned Him with glory and honor. How, how did He do that? Well, He forgave us of everything we've done when our hearts repent, when we understand we're created to be sons, and we say, wait a minute, I've put life in my own hands. I've lived for my own glory, my own will, my own desire, at the cost of whatever. I've been very self-driven. I've been very self-minded. I, I wasn't created for myself. Wow, I see I was created for God's image. Jesus modeled a life I was created to live. He said, follow me. So I repent, I change my mind, and I give my life back to Jesus, right? So God comes into me. How does he crown you with glory and honor? By first showing you the time of day. God Almighty considering you, right? Come on, that's pretty much honor. God Almighty just considering you. Little old you, <laughs> trying to find yourself in life, lost identity, low esteem, comparing yourself to one another, driven by life. If we just admit it, that's the truth. That's how most people are living. <laughs> and here's God saying, I know you. In fact, I love you. <laughs> Let me show you the truth about your life. And he comes through his son. And he, and he lays down his life so we can live. He crowns us with glory and honor. The other way he does that is he fills us with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. He shows that we're his home. We're the desired place that he wants to dwell. Come on, he can live anywhere. And he said, I want to live in you. Your house is fit for a king. That's God's idea. That's God's idea of a home. You. Isn't that cool? I don't know about you, but that's personal to me. And now here's the one we don't understand a lot. You set him over the works of your hands. Man, if we'd understand our place in this and get out of worry and get out of fear by camping in here in prayer and understanding that God gave us authority and God told us to subdue the works of his hands and he put all things in subjection under man's feet. 
through the name and authority of Jesus Christ. Not because you're a hot shot, because Jesus is Lord. He really doesn't want us afraid. He wants us with courage. I've found that most of the time in crisis, we pray because we're in crisis. And the crisis is driving our prayers. Very little, very little amounts of the time do you see that we really even understand. It's usually, oh no, and then we pray. Oh my God, and then we pray. I've been around this thing enough. I, I, I'm in some pretty serious situations. We were when we were out in Colorado. And uh, we, you know, we end up, it just happens. People take us to situations. And you find that we're good, God-fearing, meaning well people, but really don't understand the authority, the power of his name. We're still trying to figure out God's will. We're still perplexed. And we're still trying the gospel, hoping it works. A lot of times we're reduced to that. We don't understand. All things are in subjection. What? Under whose feet? Well, he was talking about us. His. Small H-I-S. Think about it. Whose feet? Ours. Is that in your Bible? Is that true? Is the Word of God true? So is that for us to believe? What's he say right before that? And set him over the... He said, you set man over the works of your, capital Y, or your hands, and you have put all things in subjection under his feet. No, did you have a comment? Oh, yeah, like I just got that the other day. Okay, just share, man. You got the mic. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) I just got that like the other day when I was reading, and before, just with all the teaching in the church before, like, I'd always think that was Jesus, and I was hecka confused. I was like, well, what the heck? Like, it didn't really make sense. Like, just kind of how it's taught, you know, like in church, just, um, mm-hmm. and then when getting your understanding of who you are and your identity, you read that and you're like, oh my God, it's like, it's so real, you know? Right. So I was just That's like, right. yeah, it's awesome. It is real. And we got to camp there and meditate there until it comes our reality, guys. It's one thing to preach it. It's another thing to know it and live it. Because when you know it and live it, that's when fear is, is crushed. That's when worry is crushed. That's when the confidence of the finished work of Christ begins to live through your life. Now here, this next verse is what I want you to see here right now. And, and, and I know people can look at this and say, well, he's talking about death. Well, he is talking about death uh, in the sense of physical death, natural death. Uh, even in time, that's going to be swallowed up. Who knows that's true? Who knows that it says that, 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 that the body is dead because of sin. We're all going to receive a new one, etc. So it's appointed once for every man to die. And then we're going to get a new, incorruptible, immortal body that's never touched sin or been touched by sin. But I want you to see this because this fits in a way bigger way than just thinking about death. Watch. You've set him over the works of your hands. You put all things in subjection under his feet for in that he, God, who's who's doing this? God. He put all things in subjection under him, small h-i-m, meaning man. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. Who's seen the answer to all their prayers? Who's seen the total recovery and healing of all their situations? Who's seen everything go the way the Bible says it's supposed to? But yet all things are placed in subjection under our feet, it says. And, and, and that we are in authority over the works of his hands... For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not under him. But now we don't yet see all things under him. But look what the next four words say in verse 9. But we see Jesus. 
Where do you fix your eyes when you don't see things in subjection to what you believe you have authority in? Where do you have to keep looking? What do we tend to do when things don't make sense? Come up with explanations, make analogies, and create theory. And the Bible says, when things aren't in subjection, you better keep your eyes on Jesus. Because he's the truth. And we're growing in him. And if we come up with an answer apart from him, you're going to definitely create a ceiling. And you're going to let your experience remain your experience. Isn't this talking about increase and growth and keeping your heart in a good place? He crowned us with glory and honor. He set us over the works of his hands and put all things in subjection under our feet. What did he say in Luke? Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. Right? To tread, or behold, I give you authority to tread upon serpents, scorpions, and all the power of the enemy. And nothing by any means shall harm you. And sometimes it seems like we're harmed. Sometimes it seems like things don't submit. But the Bible's teaching us there's a place to grow in authority. There's a place to grow in love. There's a place to grow in understanding to where we can move in the subduing of all things because he set us over the works of his hands. See, this is true. This is the Bible. We're going to find, we could fight about this the rest of our life and compare our losses, our experiences, and how much we were in faith and how much we prayed and how much we just, but one day we're going to stand before God and really realize this was the truth the whole time. And some of us are so busy thinking other things, feeling like people, fighting over stuff, defending our losses, and, and, and we have to get in a place where no matter what, if things aren't in subjection, we see Jesus. Because that's where authority's going to increase. That's where anointing's going to increase. You follow what I'm saying? I've got situations in my life that some of them that just need to change. And then there's, I took my daughter, our granddaughter, up to New Life for Girls yesterday. It was fun. And she went with, she said she wanted to go. She said, Grandpa, where are you going? And I said, I'm going up to a, a place, honey, to, to teach some, some ladies. I said, and I explained where their lives were and what they had done with their lives in a childlike way so she understood. I said, and Jesus is healing them and making them all better and he's encouraging them and he's changing their lives. And, and Grandpa's going to go up there and teach them. I go up there every month and I'm just going to cheer them on, honey. And she said, I want to go. I said, do you really want to go? She said, yeah. And my wife was like, you think she'll be okay? I said, I think she'll be fine. It's not that long. <clears throat> we went up. And she went in with me. And she sat right on the front little bleacher up there. But, man, we had fun because uh, I uh, preached the gospel, you know, and just preached who they are. And they call me Happy Dan. I haven't figured that out yet. But <laughs> they call me Happy Dan up there for 11 years. But at the end... I told him about the first time my granddaughter and I ever prayed for a sick person in public together. And she was barely three. And I told him the story up there. And how God healed this lady and she was overwhelmed with crying. And how I taught my granddaughter because she was really tired. You know, when a three-year-old is tired and ready to go, they're ready to go. And we bump into this lady in crucial pain, burning, fibromyalgia, flaring up all over her. And we went to pray for her, and I asked, I asked permission for my little granddaughter. Rather than, well, you need to just behave so we can pray. This lady needs prayer. I actually said, honey, I realize you're really, really tired, and you want to go, and I told you I would take you. But I'm just wondering, do you have time, and is it okay if we would just stop and pray for this lady? I can tell she's in a lot of pain. And I said, if we pray for her, I think Jesus will come and make her all better. What do you think? She said, I'll be okay. I said, good. So we went and prayed for her, and Jesus healed her right out. And this lady's bawling, having a fit. 
And when we got in the car, I taught my granddaughter how proud I was of her because I taught her selflessness through that. And how it would have been easy for her to say, well, I just want to go home. And think of herself, instead of that two-minute delay, I'll get home and get to rest, but let's give her. So she needs Jesus. And I taught my granddaughter that. At age three, I was already teaching her that. And she's sitting there looking at me, smiling. And it wasn't shortly right after that she started hearing people in the family that weren't even thinking Jesus on sides of the family that aren't even thinking, saying, boy, my head hurts, or boy, I got to. And she'd say, I will pray. Jesus will make you all better. And she'd pray. And we had several encounters right in a row where the Spirit of God came on family members, healed them instantly through my little three-year-old granddaughter. My, my, my wife called me in Denver two years ago, bawling because of an encounter like that. And then she was staying with another grandma because uh, they were keeping her for the weekend. And that grandma doesn't know what we're teaching. And she was hurting real bad. And she said, would you call her over and just tell her you're talking to me? And then I said she would pray for you probably. So she said, huh? She said, it's all right. Just go with this. So she calls her over. And, and my little granddaughter said, oh, sure, grandma. I will pray for you. Jesus will make you all better. He said, pain, you come out of my grandma's neck and back. And then she wouldn't say amen. She'd say, bye-bye. I thought that was amazing. I never corrected that one. I thought that was so prophetic. It was just ridiculous. You got a three-year-old. Pain, you come out of my Grammy now. Bye-bye. Now see, now watch. Unless you become like a little child. See, we're so sophisticated. Do you know one of the root definitions of sophisticated is lack of innocence? And we're always trying to be so sophisticated. I don't want sophistication. I want Jesus. I want innocence of heart. I want childlikeness. So here's a, here's a three-year-old that doesn't have the ability to think all the things we're thinking. So the authority and the subduing of the earth that's in her inherited, created value is flowing free. And she doesn't know even an inkling of what we know. Oh, God restore us to innocence, Right? My wife called me bawling. And I said, honey, what's going on? She said, oh, it's a good cry. And then she told me the whole story because she was walking. She was in a hurry and she turned the corner and she had just put a stand around her. She walked right into it. You ever do the shin thing? Whack on the edge of a table. And she's like, oh, oh. And she sits down. She said she was really making a scene because it hurt. She said it just felt like she cracked her bone. And she wasn't thinking a little Jasmine upstairs watching this VeggieTale video or whatever she was doing. And she's just down there, oh, and she's just hurting. She said she was crying. My wife said she was crying. It hurt so bad. Jasmine comes running down the steps. This was right after we prayed for a lady in the street. Gets in her. She comes running down the steps and said, Grammy, Grammy, what's wrong? She said, oh, I'm sorry, honey. Oh, oh, I didn't mean to upset you. I'm sorry. She said, what? She said, oh, Grammy just hit her leg. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. She said, oh, no. It's okay, Grammy. I will pray for you. You will be all better. She goes right over Pain, you come out on my Grammy now. Bye-bye. My wife, the reason she was bowing, the presence of God when she was praying came over her like a blanket. Down over her and every trace of pain left her leg as if she never bumped it. Out of a three-year-old that can't talk herself out of it and think so much and be so flesh conscious and intellectual and, oh, come on, make us like a child, God. You see? So my, and he loves us and he loves our relationships. I took it to new life. And the reason I'm, I'm saying this is the dominion authority thing. And, and uh, 
I, I, I told that story at New Life for Girls. And then I just uh, said, stand to your feet, girls. Let's just pray. We're going to bless you. I saw, Olivia, I saw your mom up there. She's just, she's a wild lady. She's fun. She comes in. She's just on it. <laughs> she's so good. But she had the leaders somewhere, and then she came in and sat in for a little. But she's a cheerleader too, man. She's like, amen, brother. She's sitting there. she got her posture. <laughs> That's how she looks. She's so sweet. So I'm preaching, but she had slipped out. She had to go. But we stood all the girls up. We're praying. And while we're praying, I just heard bladder infection. And I thought, well, that's not a super common thing. There's not a lot of girls in the room, but I know that. Because I said, God, I said, I just feel, I told that healing test, I feel like God just going to heal girls right now. And I, I just, my granddaughter's standing right there listening to Grandpa and watching. It's just fun. It's a neat experience. She's only five. And, and she's just, it's just like good experience. And uh, so I said, I'm just going to pray. And I started praying and I said some things. And, and as I said this list of things, I realized they're all in the room. So I just stopped and I said, listen, we got, I need to just do this. I'm not praying general. I said, somebody who has the bladder infection? I hear bladder infection as strong as can be. Somebody has. And this lady shoots her hand right up. Well, she's new to the program. And then another lady and another lady. It was three of them. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. And I said, listen, I'm not a feeling, teaching guy, manifestation much guy, but God does touch people. And I said, put your hand on your bladder. You're going to feel the presence of God burn into your bladder, and you're going to feel God healing your bladder and take this thing. Well, it was so fun because the new girl, she didn't hold, put her hand on her bladder. She's just holding her seat or the pew. And the other two girls went like this. Well, I watched them. This one girl went... <laughs> That's just a fun thing. The other girl does the same thing. I thought, oh God, you're toasting these girls. This is good. And I said, get them, God, and bless them and be healed. And I said, honey, I said, I need you to put your hand. This is going to be a neat experience. She looked up at me. She looked a little nervous. She looked up at me. I said, put your hand right here. She put her hand there, and she went. She put both hands there. She, just, she didn't even move them. We're praying. And I came over. I said, I told you, God loves you so much. You were going to. She went. Now she's crying. I said, who has the, man, you can hardly bend your elbow. Something froze up and there's so much pain in it. You don't know what's wrong. You're, and this girl went, I said, just open it, honey. It's okay. She went, ah, she's crying. Who has this? And, who, and we just went, boo, boo, boo. And my granddaughter said, so I got to get in the truck and talk to her about that. And how we have authority in Jesus. And we can see and hear things in love for people. And God will come. Or we can be caught up with how we feel, what we don't like, what we, where we need to go. And all that other stuff can be in the way and desensitize us to the heart of God. But you can teach your little grandchild that. God gave me the grace to demonstrate it. And then get her in the truck and teach her. Isn't that sweet? So then when we got home and mommy came to pick her up, my daughter, she said, Mommy, I went to church with, Dad, with Grandpa. And then we began to talk to her about the healings, and she's just like, Jasmine's like really into it. So it's a teaching tool. But it shows that what? We have this authority in Jesus' name. Now there's that kind of move, bang, bang. And then there's other times you'll pray, and you just don't see it move like that, and our minds just want to go bonkers. And I think that's why we struggle so much. I'm just learning not to let my mind go bonkers. Just to continue to believe and just call on the name of the Lord and just not budge. And sometimes we try to protect ourselves in those situations and come up with things that make us feel better, kind of because we're taking on pressure and all that. I'm not taking on pressure. 
I have the privilege of Jesus. I want to know him more. I need to know him more. I'm doing the best I understand. And I'm giving my best in faith. And I'm going after God. And I'm not changing my mind. You got to stay that simple. You see what I mean? I could tell you some stories from Colorado where we did that, where we just contended and just, just, just believed God for things. And things started to change in the process of a couple days. And uh, yeah, it's just really good. Because the hundred questions come out. Because there's people getting healed and there's a person weeping. Why didn't I get healed? How come everybody's getting healed and I didn't? What's wrong with me? Whoa, 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 back up. Faith's not a hit, miss, win, or lose. It's not, it's not a point in time. It's faith is the position of your heart to receive from God. So it is his will. Well, how come I'm not healed? Why did they get it so quick? Friend, your question's stumbling you. Stop. You got God in court. And you got your own value in court. Stop. Your questions are on the wrong track. And I had to get him off of that place. You see what I mean? It's amazing how if you can get somebody off that place and go, oh, and not take it personal where they're actually back in the good fight of faith instead of just praying because they're driven by need. Most of the time we pray because we're driven by need. Just get real with me. It's just what happens. And this guy rebounded, and I could tell you a lot of testimonies over the years, actually, of people that rebounded, and we just were in a good place of faith because we didn't let go. Uh, here was a fun one. We're in Walgreens. Guy's walking with a brace on his arm, and he's, he's working. He's managing the, the whole one half of the store. And I tracked him down. We're ready to pay for our stuff. I had to grab a, some, some body wash stuff and soap and the different things I wanted to get for the room at the hotel because we were there all week. And I seen the guy walk by. He has this big thing on his wrist. And I ran over and I peeked up there. I said, hey, buddy, man, that's a serious apparatus. What do you got going on? Oh, he said, it's real bad. He said, it's carpal tunnel. He said, they're going to surgery on Friday. He said, I can't even feel my hand anymore. He said, it's, it's really bad. So they're going to do it on Friday because it's totally numb. I said, no way. I said, listen, man. I know you're on the clock. I know you're an employee. I don't want to eat company time. It'll take 15 seconds. I really want to be honored to pray for you, man, and just bless you and pray for you and believe God will open up your, that carpal tunnel thing and, and, and just revive your hand. And I said, I tell you, I've seen him heal a lot of people with that kind of situation. That's why I'm stopping you. And he said, well, we got one problem. He said, I don't believe any of that stuff. And I said, it's all right, man. Look at me. Look right in my eyes. He said, we don't have a problem. I believe. Now give me your hand. And he just went, and he got a little nervous and silly. I said, I threw you on that one, didn't I? I said, because that not believing has been your cop-out. It's been your escape route. And you get away from people that way. Well, I just don't believe. No, thank you. He said, it doesn't matter what you believe. It matters who Jesus is. And whether you believe him or not doesn't make him real or not. He's real because he's Lord. So I said, how about this? Get it on and give me your hand. <laughs> and he, he just was so freaked out and nervous. He's just laughing and he wouldn't let me pray. He said, don't you hear him calling me to photo? They're, they're calling me right now to photo. I said, you're really trying to get out of the demonstration of God's love for your life, aren't you? I said, it ain't going to happen today, friend. God's pegged you today. I said, you go to photo. I said, my buddy walked over that I was with. He walked over and I said, and his wife, and I said, we're going to pray. These two are going to pray with me for you. On your way to photo, check your hand. Because it's coming alive. I believe it with all my heart. And I said, and we'll check him out. So we grabbed our hands and we prayed for that man. His name was Tim. He didn't believe. So he goes over and he's on the phone. He's in photo. We paid for our stuff. And we're looking for him in photo. And all of a sudden I see him and he's on the phone and he sees me. And, and, and he looks and he waves like this because I was kind of getting his attention. He said, and he, went, he put the phone down and he said, 
you guys really got me afraid. I don't know what's your, you're freaking me out. And he's really emotional. And I said, what's going on? He said, I have no numbness in my hand. When I got over here, my whole hand, I can feel I have no numbness. What's going on? And I said, his name is Jesus, Tim. I said, he loves you. He said, see, it doesn't, it's, it, just because you didn't believe him doesn't mean he's not Lord. He's still Lord. And it just takes somebody to know that, to give that. And he was freaked out. He's totally healed. He said, I'm telling you, you guys got me afraid. And then I talked about Jesus. The more he's on the phone, I had to be sensitive because he's on the job and he's on the phone with the customer. And uh, I said, these guys live here. They're going to come back in and check on you and encourage you, answer any questions, okay? He said, okay. Oh, my God, thank you. I'm freaked out. And it was just, it was so fun. So here's a guy that would throw you if you think all, all, everything has to be cookie cutter a certain way, if he says, sorry, we got one problem, I don't believe, then you think that's a problem. wonder if it's not a problem. Here's the paradox. You got that kind of situation going on and God's just going bang and then you got a situation where it seems like we're all believers and we're not seeing the thing change. It drives our minds crazy. Sometimes we're all praying because we are believers in the sense that we've all been taught and we know what the Bible says, so we're trying to get it. Faith works through love and relationship, and I can't encourage it enough. I'm not judging anyone. What I'm saying is there's a place to pray from the place Jesus walked. The Bible says so. True? From the place Jesus walked, faith working through love, rooted and grounded, understanding who we are in the Father. No identity crisis, no insecurity, no fear, no worry. Do you think Jesus had that stuff going on? He said, follow me, didn't he? So we've got to be real careful now that the book's already written that we're not still writing. Y'all all right? Come on, this is serious. It's the common thing that I find and then we're rewriting the book. And yet the Bible says all things. He set us over the works of His hands and He put all things. How many things? All, all things in subjection under our feet. For in that He put all in subjection under Him, He left nothing that is not put under Him. But now we don't yet see all things under Him. I know that's been my experience. I see things move right out of the way and then every once in a while you'll see something just sit there and say, whatever. I ain't moving. Oh, yes you are. And you pray, I ain't moving. Sometimes you get frustrated. Who's ever prayed and got frustrated? See, that's, you're already across the line. It's not about frustrated. It's about the authority of the name of Jesus. And I'm not going to get into all this today, but we're, we're going to really hit the whole healing thing real hard in short time. There's some things I have to wrap up. But... But I want you to see that he put all things in subjection under him. But now we don't yet see all things under him. But we see Jesus. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So who's perfect theology? Who's the perfect belief system? No one. Remember the week before I left? No one has seen God at any time. But the only begotten who's in the bosom of the Father has declared him to us. Right? So we have not seen God until Christ has come. We have not seen the clear picture of who God is except through the life of Jesus and he declared him to us. Make sense? It's really, really powerful. Go back to 1 John 2 with me. I see why. I see why I did that. I was like, man, why did we skip over there? I feel like I'm skipping a beat here, but I do see why now. See, I'm on a journey with you guys. But here's why I skipped over there. 
because the emphaticness of what I just preached there is never going to be fleshed out and fulfilled unless we're rooted and grounded in love and settle in our heart the will of God and the love of God in our lives. Some of us are still trying to find the will of God through life. And we're finding the will of God through the way things happen and unfold. It's the biggest mistake, in my opinion, it's just my opinion, in my opinion, it's probably the biggest mistake the church has made concerning God's will and healing is to find God as we go. To define God as we go, to take our outcome and determine God's will through our outcome. When God's will is determined through the life of Jesus and what was already revealed through his word. The biggest mistake I believe the church has made is we keep writing the book on God based on how life is and isn't going. I was pastoring years ago at a church and, and I had somebody give me a video. They sent the video in. They said, you want to watch this? They sent it to the church. It was on all these people sharing the sovereignty and goodness of God in the face of all their losses and how God ordained the loss of all their loved, different loved ones and how it's all going to work out because heaven's real. And, and, and what it was doing was it was disarming them and taking the sword out of their hand and taking the armor off of them. And I sat there and cried watching the video because these people were so sincere and believed so sincerely what they were saying. Because they watched their children die, their spouses die, and they were sharing how they're okay because heaven's real. At least they're in heaven. And God sovereignly orchestrated this to build strength in their life, to teach them to not be selfish, to tell them to trust God more and get a bigger picture. But what the whole thing was, God ordained all these deaths and losses. That it was all God's, that he took them. He chose this to do this, and who are we to stop God and it was so anti-finished work of Christ, anti-subdue the works of his hands and all that good stuff and the power of his name. It was just all putting it all on God, all the death, the loss, and all that on God in a mindset that was rosy and peace-filled because we have everlasting life. So it's no big deal, and it's all a gift, and thank God for who you are. And I watched the video, and, and it was... I'll be honest, I viewed it as very crafty. By the enemy, extremely crafty. Because we're sentimental folks and he plays on our sentiments. And we watch that stuff and go, oh, oh, oh. And we, we fall in. Because we're trying to find comfort where there's difficulty understanding. We're trying to find comfort where there's been confusion. And we'd rather be comforted than empowered. <laughs> but if we'd ever get empowered, we'd need comforted a whole lot less. <laughs> Come on, I'm just talking straight. So these people had come up with a, an analogy of their loss and put God in such a position that they were finding grace through what they believed, but giving up all power and authority of his name and ability to pray with results. So it was like disarming the church. The video was actually disarming the church. You follow what I'm saying? It's very serious. I sat there and cried and cried and cried. Because what it's saying is whatever will be, will be. Once God ordains it, hey, it's the way it is. It doesn't matter how much you pray. So might as well just quit praying because God's the one that is rolling the ball on this stuff. He saw fit to give my child cancer. Who am I to question God? That's the way the video was. And if God in his perfect will and his sovereignty chose fit, who am I as the clay to question him? And they're using stuff like Romans 9. And, and then who am I to question him? 
and then just we'll find grace in the death and in the loss and we'll learn through this and become better people because he alone is God. And I've been in those scenarios where it's offensive if you suggest praying for their child. I was in Ohio and it was a very difficult situation and I, I was so ripped by it and I had to be careful that it wasn't just my feelings trying to press through and I began to share and talk and they said yeah but see that's what and they started to contest a little and I didn't want to contest their, their child's dying and I wasn't trying to debate and uh, I actually had a, a great liberty to uh, end up praying they left me actually they saw my heart and they really left me pray for their daughter and uh, actually I don't even know whatever happened in that situation because things just there's so many things like that but in the beginning, it was offensive. The suggestion to pray for the girl was offensive because they had settled that it's all the working of God's plan. Why pray? See what I'm saying? And if you'd listen to how they're thinking, if you're not sharp in the word, if you don't, your sentiments will go, oh, your feelings and emotions will agree. You can actually hear what they're saying if you're not really following the life of Jesus and his word. You get pulled into that stuff. It's very difficult. I, I believe it's a seductive <coughs> mindset. It's crafty. I'll leave it at that. It's very crafty. You know what word I'm applying when I say crafty. That kind of thinking doesn't come from the word of God. It comes from sentiment, mental humanity, listening to a voice that's trying to find surface comfort. So if we're rooted and grounded in love, and we understand these things from the perspective of love. Uh, okay, God, I'm not pulling away from this for some reason. That scenario about that child when it's offensive to pray, when you even bring up love and how can you see love in this, they'll say in the fact that there's eternal life and Jesus has paid the price and I can learn and grow and mature through this. So there's an answer. seems like there's always an answer to, to things. It's because of the way they see. You follow what I'm saying? You have to be very careful you don't fall into that. Anything that takes away your sword, your shield, any theology that takes away your sword, that there's no need for a sword or no need for a shield, can't be from God. He gave you the sword and shield and told you to stand and stand there for and always use the sword and shield. So any mindset that takes away your sword and shield, any belief that takes away your sword and shield, that there's no reason to have a sword or shield, it can't be Jesus. How's that for simplicity? It's just a good measuring stick. Because all things are in subjection under whose feet? Man's. And he gave us dominion over the works of his hands. So if we embrace this other thinking, no need for a sword and shield. Because whatever will be, will be. God's sovereign and he does what he wants. No, he gave you the earth. Psalms 116 says, He gave the earth to men. It says, Heaven, yes, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He did give to the children of men. And we're fighting over the sovereignty of God and the will of God, accepting our losses, trying to find out how it's God, and getting offended if we're trying to pray otherwise. I like John G. Lake's stuff. I don't know if you read John G. Lake's stuff, but his wife was dying. And he was seeing miracles and he was just young and growing, but his wife was dying and he had lost, he had watched eight or nine family members die. John G. Lake, he said death was just such a bitter, 
sour pill to him. And now his beloved wife was dying. And his sister was dying. And his sister got healed. And yet they saw nothing with his wife. And she was gloriously healed. So he was walking with a minister. And the minister said, Brother John, sometimes you just have to reconcile with the will of God. Sometimes you just have to make peace with the will of God. And he said, as we were walking and he said that, he said, something rose up in me and just burned in me. How, how, how that can't possibly be God. Reconcile with the will of God. And he said, you know, it wasn't mad at the man. He just realized it was a destructive lie that had been ingrained into the soul of the church. And he said he went home and he kept reading and reading. And the Lord took him to Acts 10. And he, he's funny how he writes, you know, he's uh, early 1900s. And John G. Lake was amazing. But he's reading how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went around with, uh, with the spirit and power, who went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the enemy. And he said, he read it a couple times, and he said, that's it. That's it. The enemy's the oppressor. And, uh, oh, that's when it, he had a thing in his own legs. His legs were bowing and bending. And, and, and he said, he said, it's the crooked-legged devil trying to make me just like him. And he got really upset. And he started to pray real emphatic. And the Spirit of God came upon him and straightened his legs right in his house. So he got on a mission, saw his sister healed, and yet this paradox of his wife still laying there. His legs are healed, his sister's healed, and now his wife's dying. That stuff can try to drive your mind bananas because you've prayed your best prayer. It's not our best prayer. It's his finished work and staying hooked up in the face of praying, right? So he, he said, this minister said that. This rose up in him. And he's like, Grr. And he, he left that man and he determined to just go after God. And he called Alexander Dowie. He got on the phone. He gathered his whole family in faith and said, come to the house tomorrow at 9 because Jenny's getting out of the bed. He got militant. He wired Dowie. Dowie said, we're praying. We're with you, buddy. At 9 o'clock, we'll have our team together and we're calling on the Lord. And He said they went and they prayed. And the story's amazing. If you ever read John G. Lake stuff, Jenny just got instantly healed. But the pastor he's walking with said, Brother, sometimes you need to just reconcile with the will of God. You, I don't understand that it's that phrase where he just doesn't heal everybody, brother. And the only reason we're saying that is because it's been our experience. But you can't find that declared by Jesus. That wasn't Jesus' experience ever. So we don't want to accept it as ours, as the will of God, even though we have to find a place of grace when we lose people. We have to find a place of grace when we don't see the answer to prayer. We have to still see a bigger picture and at the same time not lose our fight. It's easy to just let people go to heaven, but it's not easy because there's loss. So we still have to release them to him. Like Martha said, she said he didn't take the grandchild, but he sure did receive, heaven has received, and I want to honor heaven for receiving. And uh, in no way does that lessen your fight, amen? Yeah. So just, uh, just really throwing some things out there, because the more we see love, I mean, I looked at, I looked at a, a situation this week, and I thought, how can people look at that and see the love of God? It was such a, it was such a demonic, twisted up situation and disease it just has oppression all over it. Do you know what I mean? And for us to mix it up and say it's somehow the will of God, to me is like blasphemous. Because Jesus went around healing how many? Wow. Must have been the will of God to drive out sickness. 
How many got healed when he prayed? How many were healed that came to him? He declared the Father to us. Yes and amen. How many people have suffered close and personal loss in this room? My hand's up high. Probably most of us. But it doesn't change this. So in humility, we've already died and surrendered and submitted. We have to go after this because there's help. Amen? So we don't have to just keep losing. There's, there's a place for us to believe. I remember losing a man to cancer. I was really hurt, man. I was just like, because he was healed. He was totally healed for nine months, completely couldn't find a trace. And he came to me and he told me he didn't run with that healing and he didn't. He was a Catholic man, came to healing services. Supposed to die, he got healed. His wife was just like ecstatic. Of course she was. And then nine months later, they showed back up again. Well, he just kind of took his healing and just went back out into life and just kind of living. And he told me he felt bad. He felt like he misused the grace in his life and da-da-da. And that gets in your mind and you think, wow, now this thing came back and bit him hard because it was ravaging him nine months later. It was a whole different cancer. It was different all through his body, different form. The other thing, he was totally healed for nine months. And, and I'm in my mind thinking, man, who cares if, if you did that? You sure learned a lesson now. Let's just go after this and crush this thing like we did the first time. Prayed and prayed and watched him die. I did his funeral. It wasn't fun. Four days later, a man came up to me. I was crying in my bedroom. I said, God, I need to get more of you in my life. When I touch these people, they got to live. They cannot keep dying because I represent you and I thank you for building in me your kingdom. And I'm praying. I'm taking this serious. Four days later, a guy comes up to me. He says, man, I need you to help me. He started crying. I said, what's going on? He said, I got this kind of cancer and there's no hope. It was the same identical thing that took out the man four days before. Now, if I'm walking around limping and tail tucked between my legs and still confused and feeling sorry for myself and I'm in no way ready, I'm thinking, man, go see that brother over there. <laughs> He'll pray for you. <laughs> I'm just being real. But, but something happened because of the way I addressed it this way. When he said that, it was almost like I couldn't wait to pray. And it wasn't an excessive zeal. It was a confidence in Christ. I was like, you better believe we'll pray. Yes, sir. Give me your hands. Pray. Totally healed. Totally healed. And see, I love that because humility finds grace. And you're saying, God, I know you didn't take that man. You sure did receive him. And I know there's a place for him to live. He, there's a place for him to live, God. Keep building your kingdom in me, Lord. Because when he told me about the whole just living his life and letting this come back on him and not stewarding the... You know, you let some of that get in you more than you think. You wonder, hey, did this come back because of his sin, because of this and that? And then it seems like you're fighting other walls. You know what I mean? And the bottom line is it's just love. Love is greater than all his mistakes. Love covers a multitude of sin. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I've been praying recently, if this will help you guys, I've been saying, Lord, drill that in me, that mercy triumphs over judgment, that what it seems like men have earned, let it be overcome by mercy. You see what I mean? Sometimes the closest situations in your life are the toughest ones to have faith for because you so know the people involved. And you know every weakness, every little quirk, every little detail. You can remember phrases they said that they shouldn't have said sometimes. That stuff, it's amazing how that stuff, when it's real close to home. Sometimes the biggest struggle is when it's real close to home because you know the people so personal. And you have to thread. None of that has anything to do with them receiving from God. It's mercy triumphing over judgment. It's the love of God overcoming. 
then you got to get that in your heart. Amen? Amen, because that's, that's, that's why we're trying to, to, to talk about this love thing. But I got all that healing in the, in, the, in the front of it because faith works through what? Love. It doesn't work. Faith doesn't work because you have need. <laughs> and, it, and it just doesn't work because you found the scripture in your Bible. You following what I'm saying? <coughs> faith works because of love. So, uh, thanks God. Are you in First uh, John 2? Okay. Look at verse 3. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So walking out his word is the revelation of knowing God. It's not just going to church, sitting in a service. When we're living his word, it reveals that we know him because his word's taken priority in our life. We're not just trying to live his word. We're living his word. We become one with him. We know God. It's just like walking in love. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another because everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not just doesn't know God. So knowing God is revealed by walking out his word and becoming love. He who says, I know him and doesn't keep his word is a liar and the truth's not in him. That's amazing. He's talking about just a habitual life. Just living your life apart from God's word, holding down a confession that everything's cool. Now, you don't want to do that to yourself. You're going to bust up your conscience. I don't think I'm talking to anybody here anyway. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Why? Because when you keep his word, you give him highest honor. You see him clear. You understand he is the way, the truth, and life. You've yielded. You've surrendered. It's actually a revealing that you've given your life back to him when you're walking out his word. It's the expression of love. Love's come this way, and now you're responding in love. Okay? You've received his love, and you go, wow, why wouldn't I want you? And so he who keeps his word, it's because why do you keep his word? Because the love of God is perfected in him. Why do we talk about the love of God so much in this school? Because it's the automatic response of knowing His love is keeping His word. Now you're not trying to do right. It's an automatic response of being in His love. Like I don't wake up and try to do right. I'm not, I don't have a list of what I need to do today. I'm just, I'm just waking up free. I'm waking up blessed. I'm not trying to fulfill His commandments. You just find yourself walking in Him. Because you're in love. Right? Why do we keep His Word? Because the love of God is perfected. We pray for this couple. I see this couple. We pray for them. They get miraculously healed. I won't go into the story, but it was really, really fun. And then this other guy walks up, and the family grabbed him and said, Man, pray for this guy. And he looked, and he got tears in his eyes, and he said, Well, he said, I don't know. He said, "Uh, I just can't imagine I'm worthy. Uh for God to come and heal me. And I said, where have you been, friend? Haven't you listened to anything we were teaching? I was like, what? I shake him. I laughed. I said, what? I shook him. And he got up and said, because uh, he just said it, just said it, you know. And, 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 and it's amazing how people embrace that language. What do you mean? He's just talking about the man he's been. I'm not worthy because of how I've been. But God sees him deeper than that, bigger than that. God already sent his son while he was yet a sinner. Does it have to do with the man or the love of God? Has zero to do with the man. Zero. Has to do with the love. He said, well, I just have a hard time thinking I'm worthy. I said, what? And I, I had fun with him, but I was straight with him. I said, where have you been? And... Uh, I shook him, and uh, it was just fun. 
because you got to encourage people because it's not just about them getting healed. It's about them getting that mindset out of their life. Because they're going to live unworthy. They're going to live condemned. When you feel unworthy, you're going to live unworthy. Yeah, when you believe less about yourself, you start to function and perform less. Because that's who you are. Come on. Christ makes us worthy. It's the love of God and the blood of Jesus that reveals our value. Come on, we hit it all the time. He didn't die because we're sinners. He died because we were lost sons. He died to redeem our value. So whoever keeps his word, why does he keep his word? Because the love of God's perfected. Do you see how it's not works? You're not keeping his word to perfect the love of God. The love of God's perfected and the result is his word's being kept. Do you see the difference? Now how many people are just trying to live obedient to God's word? And not really sure of his awesome love and they're trying to still earn his love and win his love and, and be perfect in his word so that they can feel like they can be loved because I've done right. Come on! No, he's done right. Because he loves us. We start there and then we'll do well. Don't ever forget that, guys. Come on, we're in like the seventh or eighth week of the school and I feel like this is important. <laughs> Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Oh my goodness. So the love of God's perfected in me and it shows me I'm in him and the result of that is I'm keeping his word. Why? Because I'm in love. I'm yielded to him. I'm saying yes, the greatest thing you can do is be loved by God. The greatest thing you can do is take a walk with nobody around. Just God, you love me so much. You paid the price for my life because you saw, you saw who I was from the beginning. You made me with purpose. I didn't know any of that. I lived this. And some days I was willful and I was just arrogant and I was just stubborn. Somehow it didn't change you because you know who I am. Thanks for bringing the best out in me. Thanks for loving me when I was so unlovely. Thanks for coming and finding me when I was so lost. God, thank you that you're showing me I have a greater potential, a greater value in you. God, thank you for redeeming my life. Man, that's got to be so just you and God one in that place right there. Why? Because then you'll find yourself keeping his word. So people that aren't keeping his word, what's it mean? Does it mean they're just willful, ignorant, and disobedient people? It means they don't understand his love. True? Wow. So they're still trying to win it, maybe. I've found good people still trying to prove themselves. Good people. They're not even bad people. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? They're not trying to mess up, but they're trying to earn God's love. God's love has freely come. So let's watch this. He, he who says, see, here's why we have to be perfected in God's love. <clears throat> perfected in God's love. Here's the definition right here for, for perfected. To complete, to accomplish, to carry through to the end, to bring a successful conclusion, to reach the goal, to fulfill. Wow. The word perfect means a signifying of bringing into maturity and completion. That's the word perfected. <clears throat> Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And it's by love being perfected. Now the next verse, because we quote this next verse, but look, it's on the heels of what we just said. Look at the next verse. He who says he abides in him, then ought to walk himself also as what? He walked. Why? 
because he walked in perfect love. It's so cool. When he walked in perfect love, what did he do? Constantly good, healing, setting free, casting out devils. Did everybody get healed? Why? Perfect love. Let's just talk about human empathy, emotion. Sometimes it's so personal. You know, people say it's faith. This is a hard one to talk about because you'll hurt folks. You'll get, you, people will get offended when you say this, but I'm going to take a risk. Sometimes the, the situation is so close to your own personal heart, the value of the family member, the person, and we're calling it faith, and it's because this human thing is so strong. It's, it's, it's more sentiment and empathy and, and, and human value and human purpose than actually God's love for the person, the finished work of Christ and the power of God. You just, you just, you can't, I, I can't lose you. And you're praying like crazy because you're really driven by the fear of losing them. And the whole time you're calling it faith because you're praying, praying, praying. We don't understand that. See, Jesus wasn't moved by any of those fears. You see what I mean? We, we put higher value on some people than other people. There's, if, there's some people we get close to, we get so... You know what it means to be clicky and stuff. I, I'm not saying it's wrong to have what we call a best friend, but you have to be careful that your best friend doesn't value... It's just because you connect and you're close and you've learned to be... But just, your best friend shouldn't have a way higher value in your heart than everybody else in the world. Serious. You don't have a favorite. You have people you get along with, people God's connected you with, but you can't at your best friend at the cost of others because if something you know, starts to interfere with your best friend's life, now you have animosity or this and that because why? It's a personal thing. It's your best friend. That's something we don't understand a lot on the earth because we value some way higher than others. And it makes us a sitting duck when trouble comes. You got Sister Sally in the church. She's the sweetest lady on the planet, man. And I mean, she walks by flowers and they just bloom. They're like, <laughs> and you're like, she is so sweet. She's just like, hey, Jesus. And she's shining. She's just the sweetest lady. And, and all of a sudden you find out she has cancer. And you go, oh my God, not Sister Sally. No way. And you call your friend, Sally got cancer. We got to pray. And, and it's because of who Sally is. That you're so moved. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's who God is in His promise. It's always about covenant. It's not about, not Sally, no way. We got to really press in, brother. You're already in trouble. It's already works. It's already sentiment and emotion and human stuff. You get an extra drive because it's Sally. And now you're way in the way. God doesn't heal because of that. Now you're praying, Sally's such a precious lady. She does this and you got her resume before the throne. Do you think God doesn't know all that? It's not man's works. I saw, I saw a man with completely blind eyes in Michigan get his eyesight back. They led him up to me and I got caught praying for a lot of people because the way God was moving. I try not to do that, but... I got really caught that day. <laughs> but uh, they brought him to me, walked him up, and the lady on one side and the lady on the other side started really crying. And the lady was talking to me, was really crying. She said, this man has glaucoma. He's lost his eyesight. He's Dr. So-and-so. She said, he is such a good man. He has helped so many people. 
And she's so full of empathy. He, he has been, and everybody loves him. This just can't happen to him. She's going on, she's got this, and it was a good resume for the doc. But I had to step in and I said, honey, I appreciate that he has a good testimony and a good name. It's to be treasured more than gold and silver. It's good. But none of those reasons are why God heals. Or it would be merit. And then the people that didn't live good wouldn't have as much hope. And then glory goes to man because he's getting healed because he was good and he earned it. I said, none of those reasons are why the doctor can get his eyesight back. She said, do you understand that doctor? And Yes, sir. And uh, I get lighthearted in those moments I tease. I said, can you see me at all? He said, no. I said, boy, that's a shame. <laughs> I did. I was just having fun. <laughs> I said, that's a shame. So I'm really filled with Jesus. <laughs> Pretty good looking fellow. <laughs> I had a lady, she was in her 50s years ago, get healed in a, under an open pavilion. She had a paralyzed eye. It couldn't, it didn't move to the right or left, and she could only see images. It was radiation or chemo, and something hit her nerve, and her eye froze. So this eye would move and look at you, and the other eye just stayed. It was really strange. So we prayed for her, and her eye instantly is looking around, and she's going, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can see. And she's just freaking out. It was so emotional. Her friends see her eye going like, so she's going like this, looking around, and her friends are like, because this eye that's been just looking at this direction is moving. And she's going, I can see. And, and I played, I, oh, it was just funny. I said, and I was just building the thing up. They were celebrating. I said, you're telling me you can see completely clear. And it was like, so I was an unbeliever, you know. And she said, yes, you can see me completely clear. She said, I can completely. I said, am I a good looking fella? She said, you are a very good looking fella. I said, now I know you can see. Worship him. Praise the Lord. I just had fun with it. So I had asked the doctor if he could see me. I said, man, that's a shame. And I laughed and he chuckled. And I had to dismantle the whole merit thing for their sake and my own conscience sake when I prayed. Because Jesus heals him and in their minds... It's because he's such a good man. And that God owed it to him. The only reason we're good people because we've received his righteousness. And in our best day, we pale in the nature and character of God. We need the empowerment of the Spirit. We need to become love, right? So they just honored him. It was a good name. He had a good name. It was all good. But none of that reasons why he healed, gets healed. So I explained all that and I actually told her and she understood and calmed down and she was real emotional. Now, see, when you see that kind of love, sentimental human love for people and praying from those places, that's usually trouble. Because we pray extremely hard because we feel that way and then we don't see the result and get extremely hurt and confused. And then we have to somehow try to answer the trouble of our soul and come up with something. It's a very tough place. But I dismantled all that prayed for this man, and he opened his eyes. It was beautiful. He opened his eyes. I said, open your eyes and tell me what you see. And he went. Just fell apart. He just fell right here and bawled and bawled and bawled. He saw everything crystal clear. 
And uh, I went back to that church six weeks later, a foyer in their church, huge church, way bigger than this. I was over in a far corner. He came in the side door. I saw his wife come in, and I thought, that's the doctor's wife. I wonder if he's here and how he's doing. This was six weeks before. And I'm way over talking to the sound man and two elders. And he comes through the door, and he went, the whole way across, he sees me. The whole way across, and he's going, and, and we did this, we did this. <laughs> just crying and hugging. We were, we were just done, done. I said, Jesus is awesome. We, we did, it was slow-mo, it seemed. Like, and we hugged. So, but that, I shared that testimony because you see where that lady was, it's so easy to be there. And I'm, and I'm not making fun. I'm not criticizing. I'm saying that is, there seems like a good place because you're honoring a person, but you're missing the grace and the work of Jesus Christ and why he really does what he does. Does this make sense? Yeah. Or is it confusing? Is it okay? You, make sense? Did you have a comment, question? Would you? Like, it's not like a... Because you shouldn't ever get in that paranoid state of like, okay, now I really need to fast and and get other people to pray for this too and all that stuff. That's basically what you're saying. Well, right? I but get real concerned in that area. Like, we we get in because I hear people they write they write a email. I hear you teach about healing, but we lost so and so, and we were fasting and fasting. The whole church was fasting and fasting. Fasting is to prepare you for those situations. It's not a works. God's not healing because you fasted and suffered yourself for two weeks. Fasting is to suppress the flesh side of man, any carnal temptation, anything that would be flesh-driven in your life. Fasting suppresses that so the man of the Spirit can rise up and have dominance in your life. That's why you fast. And I'll get on fasting in the school at least one day when grace permits. But, but people use fasting as works. Sometimes we get around a person and we, we come up with prophetic gestures and we wave a couple different colored flags and we blow an extra shofar and and none of those reasons have anything to do with why a man's healed. It's the love of God through Jesus. It's the finished work. I have had people say, well, yeah, but we put a banner over the bed. And we were all fasting. We put a banner over the, that he forgives all our sin and heals our disease. And, did, and I still watched my husband die. But all that was works. It was all trying to do the right thing to get the right thing instead of believing his simple love. It was all coming from a place of fear and drivenness because of the reality of losing a loved one. And it's hard to talk about. People can get hear it wrong and get really touchy. But if you can really humble your heart and hear what we're saying, you couldn't possibly find that in Jesus' life. Well, it's like, it's like a lack of faith, too. It's actually like, because I've, I've been at that area where it's like, but I believe that they could just be healed. Like, why do I have to fast for them to be healed or something? You know what I mean? Right. There's a place for, for just believing. Uh, <coughs> we're on this topic. Can we just stay here? You guys all right if we just stay here on the healing topic for a little? You all right? Okay. Let's go to Corinthians. Uh, uh, I think we'll want... Let's just, let's just hit 2 Corinthians chapter 1 quick. No, I totally agree with you. There's a place... There's a place for faith to arrive to a place where faith just is where. Well, let me just start off this when we're talking about healing. It is imperative. Imperative that you, I, this is paramount to me. This is the number one thing to me. You have to lock in your heart and settle right now ahead of time before you ever pray for anybody else. 
and even concerning God, you have to lock in and settle in your heart based on the word and what the word reveals. You have to settle on the will of God to heal. It's still the big hot potato out there. It shouldn't be a hot potato. You have to settle that. The will of God to heal has to be established in your life if you're ever going to have faith. Because if you don't understand the will of God, how can you have faith? You just have hope that the need gets changed. Faith is the substance, the realization of what you're hoping for. When we pray for the sick, do we hope they're healed? Do we? But faith is the realization of that hope. How can you have a realization, a knowing of your hope without knowing the will of God? It's the evidence of what you haven't yet seen. How can you have an inner evidence of what hasn't been seen? By knowing God's yes in the situation. It's the only way. Faith is found when the will of God's revealed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word and it works through love. You follow what faith does? How can I have Bible faith if I haven't settled the will of God in the situation I'm believing for? Because if not, then maybe he will, maybe he won't. But let's pray because we have need. No authority, no subduing of the workers of his hands because we don't even understand the heart of God in the matter, so we're just crying out. And that's what we at large have been reduced to on the earth. Everybody prays when there's trouble. Come on, it's easy to pray when there's a problem. That's the first response. People that don't even really believe in God pray when things get really tight and cry out to a God out there somewhere and hope He answers. But those that know their God do great exploits. It doesn't say everybody that cries out, but those that know their God do great exploits. Why? Because faith comes from knowing the will of God. Bible faith. You know that's Hebrews, right? Hebrews 6. Faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So is it good to have hope? You better believe. It's the anchor of your soul. So you have hope in, in who God is and the purpose of God and the will of God, the fact that He moves on our behalf. But, but it's the evidence of things not seen. It's the realization of your hope. It's, it's a knowing place. Here's the thought. How... Can I be that sure in my heart that what I'm going for can happen if I don't know God's take on it? If I still have Him in a mystery, then my heart's in a mystery. You following me? You're going to see this real clear. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Okay. Man, I didn't know we were getting on this topic, but we're here. I, I feel real gracious to go there. I Trying to go to 1 John 2, but it just wasn't happening. <laughs> In this confidence, verse 15, he's talking to the Corinthians. Just follow me. You'll make sense of this. In this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit. So he was coming, passing through so that they could help him along the way of his travels, give him provision and supplies and finances, etc. And, and now he's coming back by again so they could have a second benefit to so they could help him out again. So they're given to the work of the gospel, right? Bless you, Richard. Good to see you, buddy. Watch. To pass by the way to Mas- by, by the way of you to Macedonia to come again from Macedonia to you. So you hear what he's doing? He's passing by on his way there, and on his way back, he's passing by again. He's getting help on the way, and on the way back, he's going to Judea, and he's stopping again saying, hey, can you guys load me up? I'm going to advance the kingdom. Okay, you follow me? 
So he's just making a simple comment that I saw I was to come to you on my way to Macedonia. On the way back through, I was to stop here because I'm heading to Judea. Verse 17 is huge. Don't read your Bible fast. Always ask for understanding. This stuff is so, though God writes so cool, it's so amazing. Watch. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things that I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? When I pray for the sick, do I do it lightly? Is it just surface? Well, sure, they're sick. Let's just pray and hope God heals. That's lightly. I'm not praying because there's a need. I'm praying because there's a covenant and a promise and understanding in my heart. What inspires me to pray? A self-serving self-purpose? No, what, what causes me to pray because it's my best friend and they're going to die if God doesn't move? That has nothing to do with the motivation. It's not an answer-driven thing. We, we pray all the time because we have problems. You pray because you have an answer, because truth's been revealed, because Christ has come. You pray from the position of covenant, and it's an answer-driven prayer, not a problem-driven prayer. We get it backwards all the time, and we've got to be humble and face this thing because we've all suffered so much loss. And, and, and I'll tell you what, the last school we did, we talked on healing, and, and it was like, at large, we couldn't hear. Because we've been so bit by life and we've tried so hard and we've prayed so much. And, and then, and then they've got so many things under our belt that when you're hearing the gospel, there's so many yell butts and, and rationale and human reasoning and yell butts. It's like that voice that says, are you going to die? Yeah, he said we'll die. Oh, you're not going to die. God just knows da-da-da. That, that, when I talked on healing, I was amazed. I cried every day after we preached on healing in the school. Because the same questions that we answered 10 times extensively were being asked. Listen, the day you eat the tree is the day you surely die, period. Oh, you're not going to die. Look, God just knows. These signs shall follow those that believe. They shall lay their hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover, period. Well, yeah, but brother, not everybody's going to be healed. I mean, sometimes God... And it's the same exact voice. <laughs> We're going to have to take a break. Let me hit this. I can hit this, and we'll take a break. You guys all good? Can I hit this and take a break? Give me 10 minutes, 5, 7, 10, 15, 15, 17, 17, 20, 20. Let's do this. For the things that I plan. Now watch. Do I do it lightly or the things that I plan? This is here on purpose. Verse 17 is here. It's so huge. He's talking about the way he lives. He's saying, do I do things lightly? Is it just driven by life and need? And well, you know, I should get over there to Macedonia because I haven't seen them for a while. Hey, it'd be a good idea if I stop here. Maybe you guys can load me up. Yeah, that seems cool. Let me just, hey, maybe I'll stop by. If you don't see them on Thursday, I changed my mind and I just headed there anyway. He said, I'm not living like that. I knew what I was doing. I was calculating. I was being led by God. It was the will of God. I'm not living by the flesh. I didn't do it lightly. It was calculated purpose. This was all divine. It was ordered by God. It was the wisdom of God. It was the way to do it. Okay, watch this. Did I do it lightly? Or the things that I plan, do I plan according to the 
flesh. Are you ever to live by your flesh? There's no condemnation in Christ because you're not living according to the flesh. Your own ingenuity, your own works, your own ability, your own qualifications. You live by grace through Jesus Christ. So there's no condemnation. Right? If you live by the flesh, it's death. If you live by the Spirit, life and peace. So he said, or do the things that I plan, I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes and no, no. Now he's talking about living by the flesh. It's an indecisive place. It's maybe yes, it's maybe no. When I live by the flesh, hey, maybe I'll stop by. Hey, just hang in there. If I'm not there by 12, I change my mind. You see what I'm saying? And it's an indecisive place, so you're not sure whether you're coming or going. You're not, it's a yes and a no. But look, he shifts spiritual. He just talks about living by the flesh and what that results in. And now he shifts spiritual and says, but as God is, what is God? Faithful. Oh my goodness. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. It wasn't maybe he will, maybe he won't. Look, if you take yes and no and you marry them together in a covenant and they have any children, it would have to be maybe so, maybe not. The only thing yes and no produces is maybe so. Maybe not. We live maybe so, maybe not, guys. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Who knows? Let's pray and see. Well, let's have everybody come to the altar. And if God chooses to heal, then praise God because we know he will. And if he didn't, it just wasn't his will. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Where did we get that kind of thinking? Because we've defined God through the flesh, through our circumstances, through the human mind, and not through His Son. Come on. Paul said, if I'm living by the flesh, I'm indecisive, it's yes and no. If I'm preaching God who is faithful, it's yes. Watch. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, this gets so clear, it's ridiculous. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, was not yes and no, but in Him was yes for all the promises of God in Him are yes. And in Him, how many? All. To the glory of God through who? Through us. So who carries the revelation and ministers the kingdom? Are we praying to a God out there in hopes that he moves, yes or no? Or is he in us to move? Yes and amen. And yet we don't know what's going on because life has taught us something else. We've lost so many people. We haven't had all our prayers answered. So we have to try to come up with something to still and comfort our soul. But unfortunately, the things we come up with is at the cost of truth. And truth makes us free. Look, this is not my sermon. I'm just reading the Bible. I have no sermon notes here. This is, I'm just reading the Bible. Paul says, if I live in the flesh, I'm a yes and no guy. Why are we yes and no Christians concerning healing? Because we weigh God through the outcome in the flesh and the experience of life. And we say, well, if they died, God must have wanted them. Well, if they died, God must have took them. 
Well, if they died, you know, you get your time card punched, baby. When it's your time to get out of here, you're out of here, dude. My Bible says I can honor my mother and father. It'll be well with me and life will be long. It says if I love him and set my love upon him, he'll show me his salvation. He'll, he'll, he'll and, and satisfy me with long life. Sounds like I can add to my days. So if I can add to my days, I bet I could shorten them. I bet you I can be destroyed for the lack of knowledge. I bet the power of life and death is in the... And all of a sudden, somebody, boom, and we're putting it on God and sovereignty and all that. There's a thief that steals, kills, and destroys. Where's he ever come into the mix? Why is our, why is our mind completely, uh, completely turned to God as soon as tragedy? Well, God, well, God, well, God. What about us? What about the devil? What about what we're walking in and what we're not walking in? Why is God the focus all the time when he gave the earth to men and told us to subdue? Why are we... Still trying to discourse God through tragedy. Uh, we're supposed to know. Watch this. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the world. That means its ideals, its theories, its thoughts, its wisdom, its function. Do not be conformed to the world, but transformed by a renewed mind so you can prove God's will. We're supposed to know it. How do you know it? Through Jesus. He's the will of God revealed. He's the yes and amen of the Father. Get it? We've got to take a break. But do you see this? All the promises of God. How many? All, All the promises of God in Him are what? Yes. yes. Do you see any no there? And in Him so be it. Watch this. The amen is through us. To the glory of God through us. It's yes and amen through us. And we ought to know the yes. We're busy fighting over the yes. We've got a bunch of camps and rivers and streams that God never dug. It cannot be the will of God to be divided up in all these little things and preferences and camps and streams and rivers and denominations and the dividing that has taken place. It's because we can't agree because we've been hurt by natural life instead of trained by Jesus' life. Come on. I'm talking plain and straight here. The worst you can do is crucify me. You can't kill me. Serious. You know, the worst you can do is just say, well, I don't agree. And you track me on a cross. That's the worst you can do. But I'm not preaching my sermon here. The Bible says that the gospel did not come with a yes and no. It came with a yes and amen. And all the promises have God's yes stamped on it. So we're called to grow up into that truth. In the face of loss. That we're growing up into Him in all things. So turn to Ephesians 4. We're going to take a break. But at least we'll be there when we come back. (laughs) Okay. As if we have to save time. Okay. Um, the, I mentioned the other day, the School of the Prophetic starts this evening up at Global, and um, it runs Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and it's a free conference, and Jamie Galloway is on this evening. It starts at 7, and I have a few of these out there as well, the schedules. If you're interested, pick one up, okay? All right. Okay, there you go. Are we on? Yay. Thank you, Lord. Everybody back? Not quite. You know what I call that, don't you? 
I say the snacks are better than my preaching. I need to spruce it up here. I'm teasing. No, you get out there fellowship and it's all right. They're coming. I think these are all getting here. Let's just, let's just roll with it. Thank you, God. Ephesians 4. Thank you, Lord. I want you to see something. Who knows we're growing? Who knows the Bible says if all things are in subjection under His feet, however, we're not seeing all things in subjection under His feet, but we see Jesus. We're to get our eyes on Jesus in the situation. So Jennifer's asking me a question on the break, and, and I, I said to her, Honey, I said, here's the clearest way to, to ease your mind. If you bring Jesus into the scenario that you're troubled by, perplexed by, or not seeing an answer in, right? So if you bring Jesus into that, what's the end result? So we were talking about a loved one that she was concerned about. And, and I said, if Jesus comes in and breathes on her and touches her, what happens? He said, she's totally clear, period. I said, that's the key. And we are the body of Christ. We've been waiting for the Lord to do all this stuff. And he's waiting for us to understand who we've become and rise up and start appropriating authority and live in boldness. Uh, here's the scripture I just shared with, with the ladies at the break. He says in Luke, he says, fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom and we're to go preach saying the kingdom of God is here right so we're to fear not the kingdom's here what do we do all the time in crisis fear and then pray fear and then pray and we prove we don't understand and we're crying out to a God out there and he has implanted himself in here to move through us Christ in us the hope of glory out of our belly flows rivers of water every promise is yes and amen to the glory of God through us who ministers the kingdom the glory of God through who through us Ephesians 3 now to him who can do exceedingly 320 exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask think or imagine by the power that work in us it's all through the Bible why do we lay hands on the sick because the kingdom's in us and God gave us the great privilege to lay hands on the sick to continue to connect with the fact that we're one with God and Christ in us is moving. That's why we lay hands on the sick because of contact and transmission. The power of God in us flows through us into the situation. We get the great honor of manifesting Christ and walking on a created inherited value. Isn't it amazing that there's a place to grow where you say cancer leave, body be whole, and the cancer says yes sir and goes and the body's whole. Come on. So they pray for a lady with breast cancer on the street and she has breast cancer and she's got lumps all in her and it was girls there, young girls prayed for her and every lump disappeared from the lady. She checked herself, she felt the power of God and heat on her, she started checking herself and all the lumps that were obvious and easy to feel were going. One lady had a tumor sticking out here and it just disappeared while they prayed on the street. Isn't it amazing that you could say tumor be gone, leave the body in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden they go, and gone. It's the authority and the power of the name of Jesus. When I, I told you the story the other week when I had my knee torn, I, I, I told the doctor, I, I said, where is the power of his name? I want the power of his name. Right? Boom. All of a sudden Jesus sews up my knee. Not, not because of any other reason than I just want him. I know this thing is true. My experience isn't revealing it. But God, you're still who you are. We had somebody uh, in one of our meetings die of a brain tumor. And uh, they brought that boy to me. And, and, and oh, my goodness, we prayed. He, he got so thin. It was the most terrible situation I've ever been a part of, ever. This tumor just, well, he got healed. 
and, and he appeared healed and he was well for six, eight, nine months and, and he seemed well. And we were believing for some things restored because he had had this brain tumor, but they couldn't find any. And he was supposed to have already been dead long before. So what was supposed to be a couple months past turned into three more years. But for a period, he was just fine. And then all of a sudden, this thing showed back up. And when it showed up, it kept coming and it grew and it got big and it was very nasty. And it, it took out his eyesight. He couldn't talk, but he could still hear. And he'd hear my voice and he'd, he'd lay there and smile. It was just, man. I'd scoop him up week after week in his little blanket and hold him. He was skin and bone. They're feeding baby food, just letting it go down his throat. And he was instinctively swallowing, least he would choke. His body was just taking. It's amazing. And the mother just praying over him, feeding him, watching her son like that. Just, oh, it was incredible. And finally, we lost him. He wasn't happy. Because there was a place for him to be healed. There was just a place. The Lord showed me how the visual, the extreme of all that, you get in over your head, you get in situations that are way bigger than where you've grown spiritually. You start looking at a tumor busting out of the side of a little boy's head and his eyes are frozen open. And his eyes have the same color they always had, but they're like plaster. Completely dried in the sockets. And you look at all that. And the level we're at in faith and the understanding of supernatural, when you look at all that, that becomes way bigger than the God you preach. Because it's so serious. Now, Jesus is the Word. He looks at that, and He's the Lord. And that's where we need to go. To where nothing is impossible with God, and nothing is impossible to them that. Because I went through three hard losses in a row in that season, and I laid on my bed and cried, and the Lord said, Dan, as much as you're building on what I'm doing, these things are building a resume and what you're seeing with your eyes and thinking with your mind is stopping the aggression and desire of your heart. You, you, I'm pray, I was praying. He showed me I prayed real hard and aggressive because of what I saw was so drastic. I would pray even harder because I was, it was actually a form of honoring that thing because I was saying, wow, this is bad. Better pray harder. Come on. Better get real. That sure beats just saying, well, I prayed and believed. I don't know why God didn't move. Sometimes it's just the human empathy and the compassion of your heart for the person you love so much. Sure, you're praying really hard and you want to believe. I've seen people subconsciously just get into a place where they're like, hey, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. In fact, I hear people say that all the time anyway, but some people really feel like they see that and then it doesn't work out and then they, they stumble over it. And... You just have to get humble and understand, wait a minute, faith moves the mountain and all things are possible. So I hold this boy. Do you think I was sincere? I guarantee you I was sincere. But I'll tell you what I was seeing with my eyes was having a greater effect on me than what I see with my heart this way because I had never seen a physical person in that condition. And then we lose him, right? There's a story to this. He had two sisters that really got hurt when that happened. And had a lot of questions and cried and cried and cried because the whole time they're holding on to faith. Almost a year later, we were in a meeting and one of those sisters was in the room. And the lady in the meeting raised her hand and had an inoperable tumor that was protruding out of her body. 
And she said, I came here, I was hoping for prayer. And we're teaching and training and equipping. And I said, who here has faith for God to take away a tumor that's inoperable and heal a person's body? And the, the sister of the boy who we watched so terribly die just threw up her hand. Oh, bring you to tears. Because she could have been a hurting mess. She could have had all kind of issues. She could have been taking the loss of her brother so personal that she could never again hear the gospel or assess the gospel because the loss just wham. And now when you hear about God, yeah, God, loving God. Well, when, why did my brother, well, if God was so good, then how come? Well, we prayed and prayed and prayed and how come and God and if. And all of a sudden, if you don't make resolution there, you can never even have intimacy with God again because you're just hurt because of circumstance. How's that for just real straight open? But here's the integrity, no offense. So here's the integrity of this sister. She throws her hand straight up. Why? Because the loss of her brother started to build something in her. That look, God's word is God's word. And there has to come to a point in integrity where I raise his word above everything else. My feelings, rationale, human reasoning, circumstantial evidence. I have to exalt the word above everything because it's above his own name. And I can't even find the power of his name unless I see the integrity of his word. And she raised her hand high. And I said, and when I saw her, it hit right away. It connected. When I saw her raise her hand, I went, oh my gosh, that's the sister. And it hit me and I got a little emotional. I said, that's amazing. Girl, that's a blessing. I'm proud of you. And, and, and I even think I commented that just a year ago, she hadn't looked. She shot her hand up, guys. Learn from that. I said, you go grab that lady there. You just go over. As soon as she touched the tumor, it disappeared under her hand. The instant she touched it. Now, she didn't have that revelation back when her brother was in that position. But because of the integrity of staying in the race in the face of great loss... Something built in her, didn't it? And when she raised her hand, there was something released through that. High integrity, selflessness. I know what I experienced, but God is still greater. All of a sudden, face there and authority just hits the room and the tumor goes, Wah! Isn't that amazing? She could have been a lot of other things, couldn't she? When I said, who believes God can, she could have had a lot of other things go through her mind, huh? Yeah, right. Well, you didn't heal my brother. You better not heal her. Crazy stuff. Well, if you heal her and you didn't heal my brother, then we have some real issues. She could have been sitting there. Yeah, God heals. Well, uh huh. you prayed how many times for my brother and he's not here. Why do you think she would get healed? Why don't you just face reality? God just doesn't always do it. It's not always his will. And if it was, he would have because we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. That's what we do, guys. And we let natural knowledge dictate our faith. You're all right? Watch this. This is amazing. See, because the last man I lost to cancer right in that scenario, I laid on my bed. I cried a bunch. You know what the Lord said? He said, every time you went in there and asked how he's doing, and they told you, your mind's going, here we go again. Because you're so... You're hurt from these other losses. Because it was two teenage boys right in a row. They really got me. And uh, then this other fellow dies. And the Lord showed me that everything that was motivating my prayers was the fact that I could see in my eyes he was dying. So the last couple of times I went there, it didn't even look like the same man. So then what's driving you? You're losing. We need a breakthrough. 
All that language that we use in our strivings. And we're praying all the right stuff. So now I'm reduced to principles I'm applying to get help. Instead of just recovering and rebounding and praying from the right places. And the only way you can rebound is get perfected in love and get intimate with God. I went to a... What's the... What's the... What's the... Martha, help me, the nursing home over by Country Club Road there. Webb, the Webb fella started it. Yeah, I think it is Colonial Manor. Either way, it's right over there by, on, by uh, Country Club Road. Yeah, I think it is. And uh, I went in there. I got a phone call from somebody I hadn't seen for years, but I knew them for years, but I hadn't seen them for years, but I had known them for a long time before. And the wife called me and, and I said, oh my gosh. And she said, I'm just thinking of you. I haven't seen you forever. I know your heart and your confidence. Would you come in and pray for my husband? And I said, I sure will. Man, and I was riding, you know, I'm pretty like, then I, back then I was real, saddle up and ride, baby. <laughs> you know, yeah, I get these phone calls, I was drawing. <laughs> So I, Yahoo, I went in and he's in a coma for months. He's in a coma for months. Months in a coma. I know this man. I have a memory of this man. So I walk in the room and when I looked at him, I went, oh my God. I couldn't even tell it was him. Because he's in a coma for months. He's all, it, I, there was no way I could tell it was him. But his name was right there on the wall. And it threw me. It shook me so bad. I had enough sense to not pray. I turned and went home. Because to pray at that point is so religious. <laughs> you just, I, I turned and went home, crying the whole way. Fell on my face and said, forgive me for presumption. Forgive me for zeal. And just walking in there unprepared. Because what I saw so shook me, God. That there was no way I could have prayed from faith. I was just being honest. And I just bawled. And I got out the word and I started reading and I started building up my spirit. I got really tenacious. <laughs> I, started, I had God just wash over me for just walking in there. So I just knew when I saw him, I did one of those, oh my God. <coughs> I'm telling you, you're already done. Because what you're seeing with your eyes is dictating. <coughs> it's like way bigger than where you're at right now spiritually. Because when you see him, if you're in this place Jesus is walking, you're like, you, you can actually think, wow, this thing really took a toll. But it's not a, oh my God, to where it's intimidating. Because all I could see was how bad it was. That's what I'm talking about. So I went home and I laid on my face and cried. I'm telling you, I cried hard. And I said, God, you've built me in your kingdom. And I read scriptures that just speak to me and built myself up and I said that's it I'm going back in there and I called the wife and I told her and I confessed it to her that I walked in there presumptuously and it shook me and she's weeping little and I said you come over to the house we're going to go together and my wife said she's cool with that and you come over and she was probably the age of a mother to me anyway I mean it wasn't a bad thing it's, so she come over and we prayed in the living room and we went for her husband and I got in the place and I said, I don't never did this before. And I've never seen anything, you know, done like this. And you don't, I don't preach this stuff usually because we try it then. <laughs> we're notorious for trying things. We say, hey, it worked for him. And we reveal right there we're grabbing for straws. But I reached over the bed and took her hands. 
and squeezed him and we were over him and it just reminded me of like the cherubim seraphim, the wings extended. It just something about the covering. It was something about it. I just saw it in my heart. But we prayed over him and we renounced everything spoken, every prognosis and just spoke life in Jesus' name. And uh, he woke up six months in a coma. The next day I went in to see him. He was sitting up in a chair. When I walked in the first time, it threw me so bad that I had to go home and get back in the truth to even be free enough to go back in that room. You see what I did? You see how many times we're there and we're there to pray and we're going, oh my God, and then we pull together and do the Christian thing. Pray, because there's great trouble. Why are we praying? Because there's great trouble. Not because we have confidence and covenant and an unfailing God that is amazing. We're going, oh my God. Shaba. Right? So I went home and regrouped. Shook out my soul. Got all that crazy stuff out of my head. Who's ever walked in to see somebody and it shook you? And you were more moved by what you saw than what your heart had in it to pray. And then everything you pray is motivated by the freaking out of what you see. It's like, God, you have to move here. Now it's just this, oh. And you really don't even realize that you're not trying it, but it's like we're honoring the condition. We're in fear of the condition instead of a reverence for God. Didn't he say fear not? Little flock. So our ability to fear is pretty easy, isn't it? So we're growing, and that's why I want to see the scripture. Thanks, little buddy. That's all right. We love you. Well, we'll decide. We'll listen to your question and see if we love you. I'm teasing. We love you. Okay. I'm sorry, Dan. No, it's good. Questions are okay. Jeez, oh, I think Can't I Can't answer, we won't. <laughs> I think I forgot it. <laughs> so, yeah, see, it wasn't God. Take the mic. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Oh, my goodness. Do no. you have it? Yeah, I think I do. Well, make sure you do. If you need to pass it over here and just get it back in you, Fred. No, what, what I'm saying, when, when we get that way, like, like when we're, we're, like, afraid and... Right. Is that okay? I mean, are you saying it's well, all sure, right? It's, it's, it were, what I'm saying is, here's what we do. We get that way, and then we pray from that place all the right stuff. So is that wrong? Can there possibly be faith, authority, and understanding when you're praying? Or are you just trying to get changed because you're going, oh, my God, they're in so much trouble in it? There's God's not, an not upset of, with that prayer I'm not or anything. Saying it's there. not ever about God being upset. What I'm saying is it limits the ability to move in authority okay. and the power of his name. And it's why things aren't subdued. It's why things aren't so in subjection. So then when we go back and get, you know, like Because we're say, freaked out by it. it. In other words, it's empowering. It's got more power than what you're praying in your soul. It, you, you're, you're shook by that thing, and now you're trying to... You, it reduces us, is what okay. I'm saying, to just praying principles that we've read in our Bible instead of walking in authority. Right. So if Jesus says, stretch forth your hand, does the hand stretch forth? Mm-hmm. Why? Because he sees bigger than the withered hand. We look at the withered hand and it's a visual and we say hand stretched forth and then we're going, is it working? Is it going to stretch? Is it happening? It doesn't look like anything's happening. It looks the same. Oh my God, what do I do now? Mm. And our minds are constantly going, we're not. Yeah. come on. 
especially with visuals. Do you think Jesus stopped the funeral and in the back of his heart was going, God, I hope this works or I'm going to look like a fool. He just stops the funeral and gets the boy up. Because he's the revelation. He lives in us. So we're growing and increasing. True? So it's not a matter, dear, of right and wrong. It's not a matter of is God displeased or pleased. It's a matter of... uh, The reason I share this is because it's deceiving us. Because we think that our sentiments, our emotions, and our prayers is what indicates faith. Faith is settling on the will of God and seeing who He is in the face of every situation. Faith is different than the fact that we've prayed. It's not speaking to the mountain that makes it move. It's believing. We're speaking at a lot of mountains that are just sitting there. True? So what makes the mountain move? Speaking at it or believing? We know the word. We've been well taught. So when we see a mountain, we know what to say. We're well trained in what to say. The reason this school is so fixed on becoming love and receiving God's love and walking in His love is because faith works through love. And if we get a clearer identity, we'll walk in greater revelation. If we see who we are, we won't try so hard. We'll realize it's already finished and we'll see who we are in the place of where it's needed. We'll recognize who we are when when authority's necessary. I've had the great privilege. I've walked into emergency room stuff hospitals where the whole family is broken. The doctor just walks out and says, it doesn't look good, da-da-da-da-da. And you walk in, and they're all taking all that to heart, but they're all doing the Christian thing and praying, but they're all despaired, and they're all crying, and they're all waiting for him to die, and they're hoping God intervenes. And we call that faith. No, that's being moved by the scenario and trying to apply God to it. Hoping. I've walked into those scenarios where God's teaching me, because years ago, I used to be taught that uh, all that unbelief and all that atmosphere that God couldn't move. And I'd hear people say, well, I went in and prayed, but there's so much unbelief in the room, God will never show up. And, you know, there's so much negativity. All my prayers will get subverted anyway, so I didn't even end up praying. And what happens is you're so overwhelmed by the unbelief that it becomes your reality. And you let what they don't see determine what you do see. See, but I had the great privilege of walking into some of those settings and seeing God just supernaturally go pow. Because I kept my eyes fixed on him and I wasn't caught up in all the human emotion and feeling and empathy. But who knows, the whole time they're all doing that, they're all praying. They're all praying all kinds of scriptures. They got scriptures posted. They got music playing. We're trying real hard. <laughs> you know, None of that's the answer. And uh, yeah. I was in one room where I wanted to pray and the family agreed and all of them asked me to please leave. Because they said, we've just, we're just done holding on. We just, we're just going to let him go. We believe God wants him to go. We have all family, this whole agreed that God wants to take him. And I encourage you to never settle on that. Because down the road, you'll never be able to hear clear the gospel. You always have to face, did I leave him go? The only reason you're doing it is because you're saving yourself emotionally. Why not just keep holding holding on and believing so that at the end you know you've done everything and even if we lose them, we know we've tried as hard as we know and God keep growing us, we'll keep on trucking. But if you pull short and start creating doctrine and say, God just spoke to me and said he's going to take them. You can't find that one place in the Bible where God's saying he's, he receives the dead, but he doesn't ordain the death. You can't find that one place. He's not the author and giver of death. He's the author and giver of life. He told us to raise the dead. 
and we're deciding to let him go and die and we're to raise the dead. It just shows we're the ones confused. We're to raise the dead and we're getting an agreement to let him die and finding if it's the will of God. So then when we teach this stuff and you already left your, your, the dearest person in your life go, how can you even hear me clear without feeling guilty? Or hardening up and saying, well, yeah. It, it, it hinders your ability then to even hear the gospel after a while. And it causes all kinds of emotional conflict if you don't just hear clear. Because the key is to go, wow, you know, I think I was believing. Wow, you know that could, yeah, oh my God. Who knows God's grace is still God's grace and God's goodness is still God's goodness and the blood of Jesus still keeps the big picture clear. But the key is that we change in every way necessary to walk in more authority and more power. Because how easy it is for us to have a little board meeting and just keep letting people go. Because it seems like to me it's His will to take a whole lot of people. And yet He came for life. And life more abundantly. And the way we think it's almost like His will to take a whole lot of folks. He's not doing that. He told us to raise the dead, guys, and we're still afraid of death. Come on, be humble with me. He told us to raise the dead, and when we hear a diagnosis unto death, we are freaked out most of the time. And that diagnosis wraps around our identity, and we pray from the position of someone dying. It shows we're not rooted and grounded and established. Come on, so what's it matter if you come to me and tell me I'm going to die when I'm promised life? <laughs> Wonder if it doesn't have to move or shake us. Are you all okay? I, I'm just saying there's some scripture here. Got a carol in the back and I'll get to you, Patty. Oh, Martha, I'm sorry. Martha's right here. He's right here. Yeah, it was Martha. And then I'm coming to you, Carol. I forgot you, Martha. Sorry. That's okay. Um, in... Uh, I've bumped into a lot the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, which says that God has the ultimate decision. And I hear a lot, um, and uh, I'll just say it uh, as it says right here in Job. It says, and Job said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but save his life. And then um, concerning uh, David when he lost his son, it says, uh, the Lord struck the child that uh, Bathsheba bore unto David. It was very sick. And I also hear a lot, well, then who sent the plagues? And also... Um, right. Right. Totally following you. And none you know, none of most, that should confuse us at all. You've got to see everything's under the law of sin and death. It was the price of sin. There's no atonement. There's no blood of Jesus. God is still Jehovah Rapha. God is still merciful. God is still forgiving and still relenting. There's no revelation in the old covenant of Satan and the law of sin and death. So everything that happens is attributed to God. In all the language and everything, it's all God. But is it, is it God and, and His will to destroy? Or is it the law of sin and death? And all this is tutoring us to a Savior and to Christ and to a new covenant and New Testament of God that works through mercy. Let's go to Job real quick since she brought it up. It's a good question. We'll get to you, Carol. If it's still pertinent after a while, you make sure you raise your hand back up, okay? I just I have to go with this question right now. It was a big one. It's a hot one. There was a day, verse 6, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. I don't... Job, chapter 1, Job. Job 1. 
There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came along among them. I don't totally understand that, don't claim to know. I just know what the Bible says. And the Lord addressed Satan and said, from where do you come? So Satan answered and said, because I'm sure the Lord knew. He said, from going, look what he said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. So you know how Satan, he's a roaring lion, he's seeking whom he may devour, he's roaming the earth, he's roaming. The whole world is in the sway of the wicked one. He's considered the God of this world. He said to Jesus, bow and worship me and I'll give you all the glory of these kingdoms, all these kingdoms and all their authority because it's all been handed over to me. If you study that out in Luke, it means for a time. In other words, Adam gave me everything God gave him and I'll give it to you if you worship me. And Jesus said, be gone from me. You worship God and only your God. Right? So Satan said himself that all the authority and glory of all these kings was handed over. So he's the God of this world. The whole world lies in the sway of the wicked one. The day Adam ate the tree, you know there's powers and principalities and, and rulers of darkness and heavenly, Right? Okay, so the moment Adam eats the tree, authority's lost, and the darkness and demonic powers and these authorities and these ranks and rules of demonic uh, authority set up all over, set up camp all over the earth to defend against the kingdom of God from the day he ate the tree. You get it? From the day he ate the tree, you don't fight against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness, and Right? It's, it's governmental authority in the ranks of Satan. As soon as Adam falls and commits treason and, and follows Eve instead of, of, of God and, 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 and commits sin, the authority's lost. The image of God dies in man. And all of a sudden, the enemy takes that and he sets up camp all over the earth to keep it from seeing God's glory. The whole reason God made man was to reveal God's glory. You follow me? So where's Satan? Walking to and fro on the earth. They're under the law of sin and death. In this, they, they think Job's story was, was written way before Moses and the Ten Commandments. So it's a period of time before uh, that's what's said. So whether or not, it, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, David and Bathsheba, it's the law of sin and death. Uh, there was people reaping what they sowed. They're, they're complaining and murmuring against God in the wilderness and fiery serpents come from everywhere and people die by the thousands. It's the sign of you sin, you die. You make your bed, you sleep in it. You reap what you sow. Okay? So don't ever just read the Old Testament and think, boy, God had a real mood change. He used to just whack people and strike people and kill people and now he's merciful and good. He's always been merciful and good, or he'd have never sent his son. He saw the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It's sin that's killed men, not God. It's sin. And because of Christ, if we put our faith in him, sin can never kill us again. He cursed sin in the flesh. He destroyed and defeated him who had the power over death. He ended sin once and for all when he died on the cross, and he revealed righteousness on the earth. Now watch this. Then the Lord said to Satan. So did Satan ask permission? Did he bring Job up or did the Lord bring Job up? Who mentioned Job? So the Lord said, oh, you've been walking around the earth. Hey, did you happen to bump into Job? He's awesome. What he's saying is Job doesn't love his own life unto death. 
Job's an honorable and integral man. He doesn't have the evil, wicked thing in his heart like you see in all men. There's none like him on the earth. He's a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So he's esteeming Job, and he's declaring that Job doesn't love his own life unto death, that he honors God above all things. See, because under the fall of man, there's no one like that. Every man's selfish at the core, and the devil knows it. So why is God highlighting Job? Because there's a man that's walking in a level of the image of God. Doesn't have a lot of understanding. He, he's still under an understanding that everything that happens is God. You'll see that real soon. He has wrong theology. In fact, from chapter 3, the whole way to... You can read this and you'll find out it's true. The whole way from chapter 3 to 42... That whole section in there is the response of emotions and friends and people that don't un have right theology. Because they believe that everything that's happening is God. You'll see. The Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? And there's none like him on the earth, blameless, upright. He fears, fears God and shuns evil. Look at Satan's quip right back. Does Job fear God for nothing? Now he's questioning who? So if God said there's nobody like Job, is there anybody like Job? No. What's the first thing the devil does even to God? Contest what God just said. You see why he's the devil? You see what we do when we contest what God says? We act just like him. That's not mean, that's true. It means we become so proud and so wise in our own opinion that we contest God in His Word. That our opinion might be right ahead of God's Word. God Himself said, that wasn't to be sharp, that's not condemnation, that's just sobering what I had just said. God just said to His face, God just spoke to Him and said, there's nobody like Job and he's blameless and he fears God and he's esteeming his integrity. And Satan says, well, does he fear you for nothing? Now watch what he says. This is amazing. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his house? See how he reasons? Around his household and all around all that he has on every side, you have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Of course he's blessing you, God. You've done nothing but good for this man. You've done so many things in his life. No wonder he fears you. It's just all the good you've done for him. Now watch. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. What's he saying? Come on, upright, fearless, uh, blameless. Yeah, right. Only because you bless him on every side. He has nothing to complain about. Give him one thing to complain about. You'll see his true colors. People don't love you, God. They need you. Everybody's like me. Self-centered, self-serving. Ha, ha. You watched him eat the tree. It's every man for himself. As long as you're doing them right, they're okay. Let them just think one thing's out of order. They're hurt. They're angry. They're discouraged. They're depressed. They're despairing. They're taking you to court in their mind. People do not love you, God. They need you. And if you don't do them right, they'll just as soon cut you off. That's what he's saying. And you know what? In many cases, he's right. In fact, the closer it hits the home, the more you see he's right. 
Satan accuses us day and night, day and night before our God. And we overcome him through the blood and the word and love not our own life unto death. It's the only place to find the power of the, the name and the blood is through loving not your own life. What's the accusation? That you do love your life. That's why every trial comes. To prove you do love your life and you're only in this for you. And that there is a stumbling block to the cross. And that the scriptures have the power to make you stumble when things don't go the way you need them to. So you have a child you prayed for for 25 years and they're still lost. And after a while your heart gets hard and you say, God, where have you been? And it's not even God. It's just the person sometimes just refusing all the wooings, all the drawlings, the dream at night, the person that stopped them on the street and spoke in their life. Sometimes it's just willfulness and obstinance and all this stuff's going to be judged, but, but yet you're praying and believing and next thing you know, God, it's God's fault because somebody's living willful. The Bible says that men have in their heart the knowledge of God and choose to not serve Him as God and all of a sudden there's no more grace over them and they're just living in a debased mind. Why? Because they're saying, well, I know he's God, but does mercy still pursue him? Does he still say, hey, don't go there. Come back. Yeah, whatever. And all of a sudden, God's the one that's to blame because men are living willful. Just because it's your child. And all of a sudden, God's to blame. God never gave you the gift of a child at the cost of who he is. See, we take this stuff so personal, we make ourselves sitting ducks, and Satan's absolutely right when he talks like this. You stretch forth your hand and all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Was God giving him permission? That's what's taught. Was God giving him permission? Does he need permission to afflict men under sin? He afflicts men when they're in righteousness. He still tries to test and try and tempt. True? Now watch. All that he has is in your power. A whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. He's the God of this world. Does God stretch forth his hand to curse what he's blessed? Does he? If God blesses, does he change his mind then and curse? Does God give and take away like we sing? Give and take away like because. Does God will to give you a child and then will to take it? People teach that, that it's up to him. Does God bless and then turn around and curse? Let me ask you this. Does God steal, kill, and destroy? So does he have the capacity to stretch forth his hand and take what he gave to Job? Why? Because he comes to give life and... But Jesus taught us that. Do they have that revelation in that day? So Satan's asking God to do what he never does. And God's saying, look, it's all in your power. That's you. That's your job description. You're the thief. I'm the Lord. All that he has is in your power. It's, I'm not, God's, he's asking God to do what only the devil does. Does, does God steal, kill, and destroy? No. Does he come and wipe out Job's family and kids? No. Is he the author of death or the giver of life? Okay. So what's Satan doing? Satan's in the face of God saying the test in Job's integrity and asking God to do what he never does and to do what he always does, what Satan always does. What's God say? All that he has is in your power. Is that a permission slip? We say, well, God gave permission. Does he need permission? 
Now watch where sovereignty kicks in. He says, he will curse you to face. And the Lord said, behold, all that he has in your power, only you will not or do not lay a hand on his person. He said, look, all that he has in your power, but don't lay a hand on his person. You, you're testing his stuff. You're testing the blessing. You're testing the prison, but you're not killing him as an individual. He's sovereignly. Look, if God wasn't sovereign, every drunk driver would die and kill somebody with him. How's that for reality? There's a level of sovereignty we can't deny. Every time you sinned, you would die. Come on, if sovereignty and mercy wasn't holding back the devil, as soon as he had a legal right to you, he'd take you out. It's only the sovereignty of God that has you sitting here. Who's done things that should have really messed them up and they didn't get messed up? It's called sovereignty. You follow me? If there wasn't sovereignty, everybody that ever sinned would just get taken out. Come on, let's, let's think on this stuff. God is amazing. Watch this. You're going to see this. Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So in whose power was Job now? Satan's. God or Satan? But sovereignty said you're not going to hurt him. Now watch. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabines raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking. Okay, who did that? Who motivated the Sabines? Who possessed the Sabines to come and raid them and kill all the livestock and stuff in the service? Okay. Do we know that? Okay. While he was still speaking, another came and said, the fire of, uh-oh, the fire of, was it the fire of God? But see, if you just read that and you go, well, God dropped this fire to kill. That was their only understanding that everything that happens is God. We're destroyed for the lack of knowledge. So the servant said, the fire of God fell. Job believes that. Was it the fire of God? Was God in this at all? Did God have his hand? Was it the fire of God? But guess what your Bible says? The fire of God fell. Was it the fire of God? I need you guys to answer me. And if I'm wrong, you need to show me where I am. But was it the fire of God? See, you guys are so hesitant, hardly even want to answer. Well, let me just say with the camera running, it was not the fire of God. It was the devil. But guess what your Bible says and guess what their theology believes. What most people believe today. Everything that happens is the will of God. God administrates everything. No, there's people dying for the lack of knowledge. The sword of the tongue is killing things. There's men reaping what they've sowed. There's willfulness and obstinance and unrepentance and sin that is costing humanity a whole lot. And God isn't willing any of it. Just have good news for you. Not everything that happens is the will of God. A whole lot of things that happen aren't the will of God. If men are destroyed for the lack of knowledge, let's get the knowledge and stop the destruction. And stop blaming God and coming up with theology that accepts it and puts it on Him. 
Because after a while, it's hard to be intimate with him because he's so confusing. And why is he killing everybody? Well, how can I trust? He gave me these two precious kids. How can I be sure I'm even going to watch them grow up the way God is? He just seems to be taking people from the earth. And all of a sudden, I'm afraid. And all of a sudden, I can't even get close to him because I'm not even sure who he is. We've made him almost like schizophrenic. Like one minute he wants to show mercy and the next minute he wants to take your kids from you. And we're supposed to just understand because he's God and he has a bigger wisdom. and a... ah! We're supposed to understand now that Christ came. The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. But I have come for life and life more abundant. Pretty clear job description. Who killed all these people? Yeah, Satan. And while he was speaking, he said, The fire of God fell from heaven. Did it come from heaven? And burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided in camels and took them away. And yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. While he was still speaking, <coughs> another came. Your sons, your daughters were eating, drinking. And the oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind. Where'd the wind come from? You know, we say, well, these hurricanes and these disasters, it's just God. Retribution on sin, it's the judgment of God. He took out New Orleans. You better knock it off because he should have took out your neighborhood as well. Man, that is just so foolish. God judging the earth. God judging the earth. All those people dying. Not everybody that lives in New Orleans is a retrobate. There's innocent people dying in a tsunami. I know a man that ministered in a, and, 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 and was a missionary to churches in Burma. And, and thousands of Christians in one moment died that were praying, God-fearing, that had more heart than you and I have ever shown for the gospel. Swallowed up in a moment. Christians at the cost of their life. Losing loved ones for the faith. <laughs> and we'll sit and say God's judging a nation. Forgetting that there's thousands of innocent people losing their life right there in a moment. Some people that have walked in way more integrity than I've ever walked in. Been in positions I've never been tried with. That passed every test. That gave their loved ones for the gospel and still have a good attitude. And all of a sudden a a wave takes them out with the rest and we call it judgment. Well then we ought to all be judged. God's not partial. God's not biased. If you open up that kind of theology, you're asking the world to be flooded again. Christians ought to take authority and understand the righteous judgment of God. Man, we got to get a grip on this stuff. It is arrogance to assume that all this stuff is God's hand wiping out all these people and babies and kids and stuff. And then you want to cry if something bad happens to your family member when you're saying God took all those people out? Hello? You see how selfish that is and deceived and how twisted and confusing? We talk and don't understand. Where'd the wind come from? I can tell you it wasn't God. Struck all four corners of the house and fell on the young people and they're all dead and alone I have escaped. Look what Job rose and said. 
We sing a song like this. It turns me every time we sing it because we don't understand what we're singing. I'm like, God, we need to get a grip on that song. You give and take away. You give and take. He doesn't give your kids and then take them away. He gives his son and takes away your sin. He gives his son and takes away the judgment you deserve. <laughs> There's a, so every time we sing that song, I start flipping it into, because we're not singing it for that. We're singing it as, hey, whatever happens, happens. We just trust you. Whatever will be, will be. Whether it's good or bad, God, it's just you. You know, you give, but just as quick can take away. So I'm not going to set my heart on that. <laughs> you try to tell the mother that God took their kids because he's sovereign and knows and has better wisdom and better understanding and somehow to work for the good. And 10 years later and on the year they were supposed to be graduating with them believing that, you tell me, you show me a mother that believes that and actually has true intimacy with God. She has so many tears and so much pain and so many lost years by that time, she can't comprehend and wrap her mind around the thought that God gave her kids to take her kids. You can find that those people don't have face-to-face intimacy with God most of the time. They're just trying to hold on in integrity and believe something they can't possibly understand. But how can we sing songs about him being so good and loving when they're sitting there looking at the picture of their babies and knowing they'd have been on the stage graduating today if God wouldn't have had greater need for them or something? Come on, that's absolutely insane. Let me finish this, please, Linda. I'll get you in a minute. Watch this. Look what Job said. He fell to the ground and worshipped. That's his integrity. There's nobody like that on the earth, God said. Satan said, if this stuff happens to him and everything gets stripped, he'll curse you to your face. He's only blessing you because you blessed him. He has no integrity. Now watch the integrity of Job. This is incredible. Because Job actually believed God did all this stuff. Scripturally, did God do any of this? Did God do any of this scripturally? Did he? Or did Satan? But look what came out of Job's mouth. Naked I came from others, womb. naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken. Did the Lord take anything away? See, that's where we get in big mistakes. Yeah, but he allowed it. The most pitiful, dangerous doctrine on the face of the planet. Yeah, but he allowed it. I'll tell you, he allowed the death of his son to give you authority and courage and a sword and a shield. And he told you to fight and stand and stand there for and we're going to cop out with God allowed and never walk in authority. I don't usually teach it this sharp. It just feels this sharp. I can't help it. We talk way too much before we understand. We become way wise in our own opinion. Did God take anything from Job? Yeah, but he allowed it, brother. Do you think Satan goes to heaven every morning and gets permission slips for all the adversity on the earth and every time he tests and challenges you? Or do you think the thief just comes and he's looking, looking like a roaring lion, seeking whom doesn't understand, who has vulnerability, who has twisted belief, twisted motives, who he can poke and prod and bite and chomp and chew? And how close and how personal he can hit you. Because if he could get one, he can get five. If he can get one, he can get a whole church. And now, for the next 25 years, we're defending a theology that protects the loss of the pastor we love so much. That was the best man we ever knew. And that if God didn't heal him, who could be healed? That's what we say. And we make it merit and flesh instead of God and spirit and love. 
Come on, I hope you all listen. I'm probably stirring a million questions. But watch what he said. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I came. The Lord gave and the Lord has. Did the Lord take away? Blessed be the name of the Lord. So what did Job believe? He believed he did and still kept him in high integrity. But his soul reacted because he didn't know why. Watch this. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves. For them, and Satan came along with them to present himself. Don't totally understand that. Don't claim to know. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? From going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. The word incite means to turn against and turn one uh, against, to cause to be against. Can Satan manipulate the heart of God? Can Satan change the heart of God? Can he talk to God and change God? That's what the word incite in the English language seems to sound like. To manipulate and turn the course of one's desire, one's thoughts, one's intents. To get inside of the head of one and ultimately the heart of one. Here's what he means, why he uses this word incite, and it's probably the best translation. Watch. Have you considered Job who still holds fast to his integrity, although you made him believe I've turned against him and I've destroyed what I've blessed and you've caused me to be against him in his mind? You've made him think that I'm against him. Do you hear what he's saying? You incited me against him. You made him think that I've turned my heart against him. Through his belief system, you... Subtly, sneakily, strategically moved in his life because all he thinks is everything that happens is God. Now you did this stuff and now he thinks I did it. And he still hasn't changed. You see? You incited me against him. It doesn't mean that God is against him, that Satan manipulated his heart. It wasn't like, oh, I can't believe you got me to do that. Devil, you're so sneaky. Come on. You incited me against him to destroy him without a cause. So all of a sudden Job's going, his friends, his friends are just like the church today at large. Well, you had to open a door, brother. Well, you have to be in sin. Well, if you wouldn't open a door, Satan can't touch you. If you're walking in righteousness, the devil doesn't touch you. So you have, man, you need faith, buddy. You got, just repent and get real. Where's the closet in your life? You got to get straight, man. That's what his friends were saying the whole time. Nah. So Satan answered and said, look what he said. Look what the devil said. Look what the devil said. Skin for skin. This is what he believes about you sitting in your chair, watching on the video. This is what he believes. Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his own life. Ugh. Stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said, behold, he's in your hand. Why do we hear that as a permission slip? Behold, I give him to you. I say, strike him. Why don't we hear it? Why do you keep telling me to do what only you do? Look, he's in your hand. You're the God of this world. You're the prince and power of the air. All men are under sin. 
Because if you embrace that as a permission slip, then God's giving permission for your child to have cancer. Then God's giving permission for you to go through the season of hell you're going through. And all of a sudden you have no faith to fight because God's orchestrated it. That's the damage of the sovereignty of God when it's extended beyond His Word. If He gave you promises for healing, He's not going to sovereignly change His mind because He's God. Because His integrity as God is through His Word. He will not change that. If you told your kids one thing and then did another, you will teach them to never take you at your word. And that's exactly what the devil's trying to accomplish so we don't value the word of God. We still go to church. We still need God. We're still trying to do decent, but we don't value the word of God because it never measures up to our experience and God couldn't have really meant what he said. Come on. This thing is real. He doesn't want you to value his word because his word is his integrity. His word is the truth about who he is. He's magnified his word above his name. We're proclaiming in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And we don't even honor who Jesus is through the word. We're just desperate people. And we use the Lord's name in vain all the time. That's without power. It doesn't mean cursing. To use his name in vain is without effect. Doesn't mean, oh, Jesus Christ. It means to use his name without power. Look at the ways, look at the ways man uses God's name to send an impression. See how sneaky the devil's? You're in a, God damn it, God damn it. Who's ever heard that in their life? As if God's the one that damns. You're frustrated. The only time you say Jesus Christ is when you're mad. And you hit your thumb with a hammer. Bam. Oh, Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing how that worked into our language? Isn't that amazing that atheists and people that don't even go to church talk that way? Because it's worked into our language. To send a message that he's the one cursing. He's the one damning. He's the one responsible for my pain. It's lies. God damn it. God damn it. Right? Don't mind. He's not offended. Don't you dare get offended that I'm using these as illustrations. They're important. Let's stop beating around the bush on this. And Come on. People are in their worst serious time and they're cursing God and using his name with curse phrases. Why? To imply that somehow he's responsible. I'll tell you what he's responsible for. Sending his innocent boy on a cross to put life and courage and authority in our spirit. And we're still blame shifting and fault finding and pointing a finger to the creator God. And we're still raising our own mind and human opinion and experience above the infallibility of who he is. And we ought to just get humble and repent and change the way we think. God did not send the wind. God did not send the fire. Just because your Bible says the man said the fire of God fell, he was wrong. The Bible reveals he was wrong, and we need to pick up on that. That people that think everything that's happening with God are going to throw themselves into an emotional mess like 30-some chapters worth. And all of a sudden, boils break out on Job and all this stuff because Satan said skin for skin. And, and he said he'll curse you to your face if you touch his personal body. It's one thing to lose his barns and his cattle and even his family. But it's another thing when it hits him face on and head on. 
So now it hits him head on, and now he's dreading the day he was born, and what must I have done, and why has God turned on me, but who am I to curse him, because he alone is God, and he is sovereign, and he is full of wisdom. That's the stuff Job's saying. And then his friends come and try to help him out. Duh. Watch. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils. In the... Who struck Job? the biggest lie on the church. Yeah, but God let him. Yeah, but God let him. But God allowed it. We live under a new covenant in New Testament. There is an atonement. There is the blood of Jesus Christ crying mercy for you. God died once for all on the cross. He shed his blood and gave a promise. And all promises are yes and amen. And we get confused with this. And you try to bring this story into your everyday present reality. That is deception. You have to look through Christ. In the last days he has spoken to the fathers through the prophets. Or in the former days. And in these last days he has spoken to us through his son. The truth is in Christ. We have a whole different way now. It's a new and living way. And God has come out and made this thing clear. And the mystery is supposed to be revealed. And we're still living in mystery. Very touchy, very sentimental, very edgy, fearful, worrisome, opinionated. Who struck Job? Satan. Wow. And the wife said, no reflection on women. Some of your men friends could have said the same thing. The wife said, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? What's he believing? Absolutely. But did God do it? But he believes he did. And the whole rest of the chapter is from that place. And it teaches us that if we don't have a new covenant, New Testament, the reason it's written, if we don't have a New Testament, New Covenant uh, mentality, we're going to do the same thing Job did and go through the same tears, same emotions, same confusion, and same mess. And the friends are going to talk the same way like they talk today to people in trouble. Why are we repeating the story of Job now that Christ has come? I can't take any more questions. It's 5 after 12. I just realized it. I just can't. And I'd, I'd ask you to hold them so we can bring them into a class. Because I'll stand up here for an hour and answer questions. I'd rather bring them in corporately. So if you had questions, forgive me, love me. I know I'm passionate and intense right now. I can't help that. And I'm sorry in the sense. But I'm not. This thing is real. This thing is serious. Just think of that cursing thing. Come on, your whole life you heard people misuse and, and imply things. People that are in bars and at your work and they're drinking and, and, and they're cursing all the time and they're living a life that has nothing to do with repentance, but yet they'll use Jesus' name and it's only in a time when things are at their worst. It's to send an impression that it's God's fault, that God's behind it doing it. Isn't that amazing how that worked into our language? <sighs> I love you guys. I, uh, I knew you had a question. I'm going to, Pastor Don's going to be here close to 1230. I need to run with him. So I'm going to have to try to bolt out of here tomorrow. I have no schedule so I can hang, catch up with some of you guys. And if there's more questions, but thanks for being here. Father, we just thank you. We just ask that these things settle in, touch our hearts so deeply, change our minds. Please, God.
Please, Lord God, bring understanding in the light of sovereignty and your will and allowing and all those things we all grew up hearing our whole life. Of course you're sovereign. Of course you're the the ultimate high supreme being. But let us not forget you gave your son and you put the earth in the hands of the children of men. You gave us authority in your name. You told us to go that all authority in heaven was given to you and you said now you go in that authority over all the power to tread upon serpents, scorpions, over all the power. If you gave us that authority, God, then why would you sovereignly subvert it and change and mix us up and place charades? That's what we're missing, God. Seal this stuff in our heart. It's a new testament. It's a new order. It's a new living way. You brought things back to the way it was in the garden before sin, before Adam ever ate that tree. God, give us courage and let us see. And God, let us never again misidentify you at the cost of relationship and integrity and value towards you. Let the days of disappointment, discouragement and failure end forever in our lives. Let us not look up at you and be sad and question who you are. Let us look to the Son of God and know who you are. And let us be bold and do exploits. In the name of Jesus, Father, thank you. Amen? Amen, Amen, guys. Yeah. I know I get really passionate about this stuff. Lives are hanging in the balance. And it's-